closed session to order. Um, if we could um, please have um, call to order. Um, roll call. Councilmember Kiriako. Aye. I mean here. Councilmember Reyes-Martin. Here. Councilmember Kasdan. Here. Mayor Pro Tempore Richards. Here. And Mayor Perotti. Here. Okay, at this time we'll have an opportunity to um, for the public to address anything on closed session. Do we have any speakers? We do not have any callers coming in and nobody at the back doors. Okay, Ms. Garibaldi, if you'd like to report us, <coughs> excuse me, into closed session. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, having no closed session speakers, the City Council can now convene in closed session. Pursuant to the item listed on the agenda, we have one item this afternoon, which is existing litigation, the City of Goleta versus the Regents of the University of California. Okay, thank you. So with that, we'll uh, recess to closed session. Hey, good evening, everyone. Welcome to our Goleta City Council meeting of March the 7th, 2023. If you'll all rise and join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. Ready, begin. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, roll call of City Council. <clears throat> Councilmember Kiriako? Here. Councilmember Reyes Martin? Here. Councilmember Kasdan? Here. Mayor Pro Tempore Richards? Here. And Mayor Perotti? I'm here. Okay, if we can have a um, report from closed session, Ms. Garibaldi? Thank you, Madam Mayor. The City Council convened in closed session pursuant to the one item listed on the agenda, which was the discussion of existing litigation in the City of Goleta versus the Regents of the University of California. There was no public comment, and the City Council convened at 4.31 p.m. and recessed at 5.30 p.m. Thank you. At this time, we'll have public forum. Anybody that wishes to speak to anything that's not on our agenda this evening? Madam Mayor. I failed to say there was no reportable action oh. on that. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Public forum. Uh, we do not have any speakers here for public forum, but if there are any members of the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, please raise your hand and I will call on you. I'm not seeing any public speakers at this time. Okay. Thank you. Amendments or adjustments to our agenda, City Manager? Madam Mayor, we have no adjustments to the agenda. Okay. And now we'll go to City Manager report. Thank you, Madam Mayor, members of the council, members of the public. I do have four announcements. Um, they're rather quick. Uh, first, um, the Goleta Valley Library is celebrating their 50th year at the Fairview location. That event is this Saturday from 2 to 4 p.m. We hope to see everyone there. Uh, second announcement, um, Goleta's uh, State of the City is Monday, April 10th. Um, that's not too far away. Uh, that's 5 to 7 at the Elks Lodge on Calle Real. Uh, third um, announcement is we are currently, and this is on our, this information is on our website, taking applications uh, for the LEAD um, Goleta Community Academy. So this is a great academy and space is limited to 30 spots. It's a six-week program. It takes place every Thursday night from 5 to 7. So if anyone's listening 
every Thursday night, five to seven, six weeks in a row, um, because it is mandatory that you attend all classes. Um, and we haven't had this in three years, so we're very excited to get this program going again. And then finally, Beautify, Beautify Goleta is coming up on Saturday, March 25th, and we'll have more information to be released, um, but mark your calendars for that event on March 25th. And that's all I have for now. Thank you for that. Thank you. We have a couple presentations. First is item A1, proclamation recognizing March 7th through March 14th, 2023, as City of Goleta Arbor Week. Thank you. Well, I have a proclamation, so I'm going to go up podium and read it and then call up a couple people to accept it. It seems like I do this differently every time. I'm keeping you guys surprised. Okay. So um, actually, is um, Mr. Thompson here? Oh, come on up. So I can read it to you while you're here. Okay. So we have a proclamation of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, recognizing March 7th through March 14th, 2023, as City of Goleta Arbor Week. Whereas National Arbor Week is a special week for the planting of trees and has been celebrated nationally and throughout the world for 151 years since 1872. Whereas trees can reduce the erosion of our precious topsoil by wind and water, cut heating and cooling costs, moderate the temperature, moderate the temperature clean the air, produce life-giving oxygen, and provide habitat for wildlife. And whereas um, trees beautify our community, are a renewable resource, and are a source of joy and spiritual renewal. And whereas Galetans will observe this celebration along with the state of California with tree plantings. And whereas the California State Assembly and Senate have approved resolution ACR 10 Dickinson establishing March 7th through March 14th of each year as California Arbor Week. The measure urges, urges all California residents to observe the week with appropriate tree planting activities and programs. And whereas all residents are urged to celebrate Arbor Week by planting and maintaining trees to promote the well-being of this and future generations. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the City Council of the City of Goleta hereby do does hereby resolve to proclaim March 7th through March 14th, 2023, as City Goleta Arbor Week, approved the seventh day of March 2023, and assigned by myself, Paula Perotti, Mayor. So, um, I'd like to maybe we take a picture now. I think would be, and then I'd like to have you say. Yeah. 
Mike, Madam Mayor and Council, I'm George Thompson. I'm the Parks and Open Space Manager for the city. I want to thank the Council so much for supporting our urban forests. It, in many ways, makes Goleta, Goleta. Um, a lot of people move here and grew up here loving nature, loving the benefits that our urban forest provides. Um, also want to thank your commitment to maintaining and improving our urban forests, whether it's at Stowe Grove, Elwood Mesa, um, our parks, and our streetscapes. We have over 10,000 trees in our public tree inventory that we own and maintain. Um, among those trees, we have the largest California sycamore in the world. We have the largest Australian willow in North America. Um, these unique resources that um, individually are unique and collectively as urban forests provide so many benefits for wildlife and people. Um, I also want to acknowledge our Park and Recreation Commission uh, Chair, Deborah Williams, and we also have here today for a couple um, comments our Chair of the Public Tree Advisory Commission. Um, and I want to also acknowledge our Mayor because <coughs> earlier uh, last week we did a tree planting at Stowe Grove. Um, so thank you, Mayor, for taking part in that. Thank you very much, Council. Thank you. Ms. Allstead. George is so tall. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jesse Altstadt. I'm currently the chair of the Public Tree Advisory Commission. And I just want to thank you so much for this recognition for our trees. We have over 50,000 trees in Goleta's urban forest. And that's a mix of um, city controlled trees and trees in the private sector. And our urban forest management plan was drafted more than 10 years ago. So it's, it's really in need of some updating. And I'm very excited to be with the commission while we, um, in the coming year, um, while we work with Public Works to up make updates to that. Uh, we need a forest that is healthy, diverse, that provides shade and beauty, is climate adapted, and that's gonna be even more important in coming years, and that also provides habitat value, value for our birds, insects, and, and animals. And behalf of, on behalf of the PTAC, I would just like to say, um, you know, thank you very much to council and to staff for recognizing um, Arbor Day and Arbor Week, and for all the services and benefits that our urban forest provides. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have any speakers for that item? I do not have any speaker slips, but if there are any members of the public who wish to speak, please raise your hand and I will call on you. And I do not see any hands raised at this time. Okay. Could you please read the next item into the record? Item A2, Goleta Valley Library from COVID to recovery. Mr. Valdez. Good afternoon, Madam Mayor, members of City Council. Uh, we're excited to be here this evening. Uh, joining me is uh, Ms. Allison Gray. Um, actually, this is gonna be her last uh, city Council meeting, um, so we thought we'd end on a high note on her magnificent career with um, 
showing some of the things that we've dealt with uh, during COVID and part of the recovery process. Um, I'll just cover a little bit and then I'll, I'll hand it over to Ms. Gray for the actual PowerPoint presentation. But the staff report, as you know, uh, has a lot of facts and figures uh, related to circulation and changes and, and kind of a bounce back, um, which Ms. Gray will, will cover in part, surely in some of the slides. But then it's also uh, a nod to the amount of support we've gotten from the community, from sponsors, uh, from the friends of the library, uh, businesses, uh, a lot of different things that, that operate to make our library such a wonderful place to be and meet and, um, and share in this community. Uh, the staff report itself also covers some challenges, um, you know, some of the, the issues that we have with the facilities, funding going forward, and some other items. Um, and part of these uh, challenges will be addressed as part of the budget process. But with that, we did wanna spend some time to kind of look back on some of the positives uh, that were experienced over the last several years and give uh, Ms. Gray an opportunity to uh, present to council one last time. So with that, if that's okay, I'm gonna turn it over to Ms. Gray. Thank you, Ms. Gray. Thank you. Um, when I look back at my five years as director, three of those years were spent during COVID, and it certainly was a challenge, but I'm so proud of the staff of the library for the way that they responded. We were only closed entirely for 11 weeks at the very beginning of COVID, and then at that 12th week, our staff was ready to provide sidewalk service. And um, that involved having a concierge at the sidewalk to help patrons who would place holds on materials. They would text us when they got into our parking lot, and then we would check out the items inside the library and then walk them out to a table. They would socially distance their way up to the front uh, door of the library, pick up their materials, and go on their way. And they were so grateful for this service. It really helped people who were uh, isolating at home to have library materials to help them get through this long period of time. So um, I just have to say that the staff was phenomenal and uh, they really helped emphasize how important the library is to the community in Goleta. And if we could show our first slide that shows, oh, sorry, our next slide. Um, this was one of the comments that I received from one of our patrons. I have hundreds of emails from patrons all saying fabulous things about the library staff. And this is one of our staff members providing materials during COVID, uh, bringing them out to the desk in front of the library. Our circulation, of course, went down during COVID, as one might imagine. And in fiscal year 21-22, we started to make a recovery. We had 83,000 visitors, which is much fewer than our normal pre-COVID numbers. And our circulation was about half of the norm at 318,000. But in the first half of this current fiscal year, We've already circulated 235,000 items, which is a 33% increase over last year. And we've already had 80,000 visitors, which we're looking at a 50% increase over last year. So we feel that we're definitely on the road to recovery. 
And um, we haven't really seen much of an impact after COVID other than that people got used to streaming videos. So they're not asking us for DVDs quite as much, but they still want those print materials and the books on CD. So less of an impact after COVID than we anticipated, which was great news. Our next slide uh, is going to show one of the um, high school groups receiving their library cards. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a video, which unfortunately I couldn't show you today, but where the teachers brought the library cards into the classroom and the kids were actually whooping. They were so excited, <laughs> um, which was fantastic for us to see. We were thrilled. So we do provide uh, library cards for classrooms whoever wants them. We do a lot of outreach with the schools. And it would be great to be able to provide the book fan services to the schools in Goleta. That would be really wonderful. We get a lot of feedback about our programs, which we do for ages uh, infancy through senior. Um, I always joke that if we could do programs for babies in the womb, we, if we could figure out a way to do that, we would do that too. And we'd get a, a room full of ladies. <laughs> this shows a picture of book van service in Isla Vista. Uh, I just have some stats for you on that. In the first 16 months of service, we saw 5,300 people, or an average of 331 per month, and pretty much evenly uh, distributed between adults and parents and children with about 1,500 adults and 1,200 kids, 1,800 college students, a small number of teens, and about 650 seniors. So we're really seeing um, patrons of all age groups in Isla Vista. And we created over 475 new library cards and handed out about 500 take-home craft kits, which we also created during COVID um, and handed out at the library a couple thousand of those since we couldn't do programming for children. We receive feedback every day from our patrons and we understand every day how seminal our service is to the community of Goleta and how important our staff is. Um, if you remember the TV series Cheers, where everyone, when Norm came in, everyone said, Norm! That's kind of how it is in the library. Our staff knows our patrons' names and makes everyone feel welcome when they come in. So uh, this is a picture of the wonderful Las Alitas organization, which I mentioned in my staff report. Every year they give us a donation of $5,000 for large print materials, and they run the Operation Bookshelf program, which is for people who are homebound but still want to use the library. So they very kindly build relationships with these patrons and check out the materials that they want and make monthly visits to them and have a little social time with them as well. So it's a great program. And I'll be going there in a couple of weeks to uh, get our, my last check from them. 
this is an email that I got during um, right when we reopened, and it was from uh, a senior citizen. And uh, I'll be sharing all of these with my staff this week. This is one of our um, programs for infants, and it's as heavily attended as most of our programs are. You can see a lot of happy babies and happy parents <laughs> and caregivers there. We do um, a huge amount of programming, and we try to focus it at all ages, all um, social strata, all um, days and times. We really try to make it available to everyone, and we do some virtual programming still as well. And this, I was really glad that someone recognized that the staff is wonderful. And then uh, we have over 100 adult volunteers who give thousands of hours each year and help us run the library on a daily basis. We couldn't do it without them. And we have about 70 teen volunteers that help us, particularly in the summer, during the Summer Reading Club. Um, and it gives them the opportunity to get community service hours, which are required uh, by their high schools. So every November, we have a, a volunteer recognition, recognition breakfast. And this is our last one, which we were so happy to have after not having it for the two years of COVID. So we're very, very grateful for our volunteers. And I'd just like to reiterate what the city manager said and invite everyone to our 50th anniversary on Saturday from 2 to 4. And just say that um, I hope that I leave the library a better place than, than it was when I came in 2008. It's not just a place for borrowing materials. It is that, and that's very important. But for many people, it's a place to get some much-needed social interaction. It's a place for children, families, immigrants, and others to increase their literacy skills. We provide computer technology, and we teach people how to use their own devices. Usually January's really busy for that because people are given iPads and things like that by their kids, and then they just bring them to us in the box unopened because they have no idea how to use them, so we help them with that. We provide a place for people to meet other people in the community, giving them the opportunity to form new relationships, Lots of play groups form at the library. The library staff is proud to represent the city of Goleta in all that we do. And I know that the library will continue to keep the provision of excellent customer service at the core of everything that it does. So I would just would like to say I really appreciate having had the opportunity to work for the city of Goleta and uh, help carry the library services forward. And if I can answer any questions, I'd be more than happy to. Thank you for that, Ms. Gray. Questions? Councilmember Kasdan? No questions. Just thank, oh, actually, one question. Uh, so my son already finished the books that are the, that, uh, um, the, that dragon, and we're looking for another set of, <laughs> no. 
thank you for all, all that you do. You, your kids can come in and, and ask, you know, for particular books. And everyone knows that in the staff, they can come up with a whole set of similar books. So uh, you guys are great for the community, and thank you. Thank you. And my staff knows it's very dangerous to ask me for <laughs> book recommendations because I can go on and on. <laughs> so. So I, I have one question, and it's a very serious one. Why are you so awesome? <laughs> and the follow-up is, would you be willing to stay a little longer? <laughs> oh, I wish I could. <laughs> I've been doing this for 37 years, and my mom was a library director, public library director in East Hampton, New York. So I literally grew up in libraries. Um, so that's 59 years of being backstage in libraries, and I think it's time for a new adventure. So, but thank you for, for asking. Thank you again. And just one, one service that the library provides that I want to um, particularly call out, it became very important during uh, last summer, is the library is also a cooling center mm. for our, our seniors, for our most vulnerable. It's a place where they can go. It's cool. There's internet access, books, people that know your name. So thank right. you. And this winter, a warming center, yes. which was very important too. Yes. Councilman Reyes Martin. I'll just add my thank you. Um, as a mom of young kids, the library is one of their favorite places. And I know that's the case for so many kids all throughout the Goleta Valley. Um, we took advantage of the sidewalk service, the crafts at home, the story time over <laughs> Facebook Live. Um, it was just wonderful. and. I still have every library card I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Libraries were a safe refuge for me, like they are for so many children. So thank you, and congratulations on your much-earned <laughs> retirement. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you as well. I know that there was um, a conversation several years ago that um, libraries were not needed anymore. Remember that conversation? I do. Oh, nobody does books anymore. <laughs> you know, they're looking at everything online. And, um, and, and we proved that wrong um, because it's, it's not just about the books. It's about the people. It's a safe place to go. You highlighted all the opportunities um, of a library. And I can't thank you enough for taking on the challenge. And when we became our um, managing our own library, that was a lot of work. And then taking on several more in San Inez Valley. So um, thank you for all your hard work. And um, you need to um, have a little break and enjoy yourself. But It was my honor and pleasure. I really appreciate it. And we'll see you Saturday. Yes, great. For a party. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, do Councilman Kasson? Yeah, I just wanted to urge you in your second career that firefighting can be really risky <laughs> and to take, be really careful with what you're doing. <laughs> and especially, you know, in woodlands when you have to parachute and all. I mean, so be very careful. Okay, good luck. Do we have any questions? Oh, I was just going to add, it's going to be very interesting for her to be a firefighter in Portugal. Um, oh, that's so, right. Um, Portugal. But uh, all jokes aside, um, over the last year and a half that I've gotten to know Ms. Gray, uh, she's incredibly bright and just caring for her staff, for the community. Um, words just don't do it justice. So I wanted to say a special thank you to Ms. Gray. I, I know we'll be doing a little bit more celebra uh, celebrating this Saturday um, for the library physical building, but for everything that's inside of it, including our wonderful staff. So thank you.
and I see a lot of your staff here this evening, so um, thank you all for what you do. Um, do we have any speakers? Uh, yes, we do have one speaker slip, and if there are any members of the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, please raise your hand and I will call on you. Um, our first speaker in person is Kathy McIntosh. Good evening, Madam Mayor and City Council. I'm really happy to see the library on this meeting agenda. My name is Kathy McIntosh, and I have lived in Goleta for 33 years, raised two sons in the area, and I also work part-time for the library as a page, a non-benefited page, uh, for almost two years. The report by staff is an excellent recap of the state of the library, including the way we work through the pandemic. All the phone calls with every kind of question and request kept the library staff so busy. I clocked five miles of walking during the sidewalk services as a runner. And I can't say enough about the importance of our hardworking and dedicated volunteers who literally keep our library work running. The Goleta Valley Library provides a safe and welcoming space for all, events like the Stuffed animals sleepover gave us international attention. Although thinly staffed, the library provides numerous free personalized resources and services. Besides the upkeep of the vast collection, the library serves all ages with many excellent programs. All this and more with protected privacy and transparency. The Goleta Valley Library will soon be celebrating its 50th year of services. The building is showing its age and in need of some attention. I hope that the city of Goleta considers providing increased support for the Goleta Valley Library financially and as an important party partner by maintaining a presence on the Library Advisory Committee. Thank you very much. Thank you. We have any other speakers? And we have no other speaker slips. Okay. Thank you. See you Saturday. <laughs> okay. Consent calendar? Yes. Okay. Item B1, ratification of mayoral appointments to the Public Tree Advisory Commission. Item B2, fiscal year 2022-23, second quarter financial review. Item B3, January 2023 Winter Storm Update Report. B4, Grant Pursuit Request for Caltrans Clean California Local Grant Program Application for Old Town Goleta. B5, Temporary On-Street Parking Restrictions for the 2023 Isla Vista Deltopia event. B6, Adoption of Revised and New Library Policies and Form. B7, donations from Ice in Paradise to Goleta Valley Library, and B8, miscellaneous park improvement project notice of completion. Thank you for that. Um, Council wish to pull any items from consent. I'm not seeing any. Do we have any speakers um, that would like to pull an item or speak to an item? Yes, I have two speaker slips for item B8. And okay. if there are any members of the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, please raise your hand and we'll call on you. I'm not seeing any speakers on the Zoom webinar. And could you read the item B8? 
Item B8, Miscellaneous Park Improvement Project Notice of Completion. Thank you. And our first speaker in person is Barbara Lopez. Um, then our next slip is for Linda Trevino. Okay. Then there are no speakers in person. Okay. Do we have any on Zoom? I think you asked that already. Right. Yeah. I don't see any hands at this time. Okay. So I'm looking um, for a motion. I'll move approval. I'll second. Okay. If we can have a roll call vote. <clears throat> Councilmember Kiriako? Aye. Councilmember Reyes Martin? Aye. Councilmember Kasdan? Aye. Mayor Pro Tempore Richards? Yes. And Mayor Perotti? Aye. Ayes have it. It's unanimous. And if you could please lock in your votes. Oh. I did did vote. <laughs> but it says I didn't vote. Oh wait, no, Tom did. Yeah. I don't know. I voted aye. <laughs> okay. Okay. Read the next item into the um, record, please. Item C1, public hearing on needs, goals, and funding priorities for the 2023-24, sorry, 2023-2024 Community Development Block Grant, CDBG program. Okay, thank you. And this is a public hearing, so we will have um, staff make a presentation. Then the council will ask questions of staff if they have any. Then I will open the public hearing, and the, the testimony, you have three minutes. Staff responses, uh, if any, and more council questions. And then I'll close the public testimony portion of the hearing, council deliberation, close the public hearing, and we'll entertain a motion. Hey, Mr. Valdez. That's a lot of steps. Um, so <laughs> That's why I have it in front of me. <laughs> Thank you, Mayor and Council. Um, so it's that time of year again. We're here before you with the uh, needs, goals, and funding priorities for fiscal year 23-24 as they relate to the Community Development Block Grant Program. Uh, part of that requires the, the public hearing this evening. And really what we want to focus on is uh, the funding recommendations for 23-24 action plan as well as the recommendations that we received from the grant funding review standing committee uh, uh, to also be included as part of the action plan. Um, at this point, I'm going to pass it over to Ms. Dawson, who is much more well-versed in this whole world and uh, will be available for, for questions as well. So with that, Ms. Dawson, take it away. Thank you. Ms. Dawson. Thank you, Mayor and Council. Thank you, Mr. Valdez. So first, I want to just acknowledge the Grant Funding Review Standing Committee is made up of Mayor Perotti and Mayor Pro Tempore Richards, but also two community members, Eileen Preston and Linda Croyle, and we are very much indebted to their service. They worked on four different committee meetings in the last month and had to review many applications, not just these, so wanted to thank them. Since 2004, the city has received an annual allocation of community development block grant funding from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. As part of that allocation responsibility, the city is required to do an annual action plan which states out the different programs that the city wants to direct funding towards. 
Staff is currently working on that draft action plan for 23-24. After your recommendations tonight, we will complete the draft action plan and release it for a 30-day public review period prior to returning to City Council for final approval. The action plan must be submitted to HUD by May 15th. An update from the staff report we found out after it was entered into the Legistar process. Last Monday, HUD released its 23-24 allocations for um, Goleta and, and all eligible cities. We will be receiving $276,047, an over $35,000 increase from last year. Um, I don't know if I should note this or not, but I will say that some of our county communities did were not as lucky and got cut. So hopefully they don't look too deeply into why we got a, an increase there. The application period for the CDBG applicants was December 16th through January 27th. 12 CDBG applications were received. The Grant Funding Review Standing Committee meeting met on, or, or Standing Committee meeting was held on February 9th, 2023 to review the city's use of CDBG grant funding. This included the review of applications for subrecipient grants, which is 15% of CDBG funding. After deliberation, the committee recommended CDBG awards to three of the 12 applicants listed below. Um, those were the Isla Vista Youth Project Family Resource Center, People Self-Help Housing Corporation, Free Clinical Case Management and Homelessness Prevention Services, and Santa Barbara Neighborhood Clinic, the Goleta Neighborhood Clinic, and Goleta Dental Clinic. Because of those, uh, the updated allocation, each of those organizations will be receiving $13,802.33 if approved by council tonight. The other part of our CDBG project is capital improvement. 65% of the funding can be used towards a capital improvement project, which benefits low to moderate income neighborhoods or prevents any blights or slums. Um, funding the past couple of years has gone to the Goleta Valley Community Center for ADA and seismic improvements. During the work on those ADA and seismic improvements, foundational issues were recently discovered. And so the committee recommended putting the entirety of that $179,430 towards fixing those that foundation, which if you don't fix the foundation, you don't have much else to fix. So um, we recommend that the council conduct a public hearing to receive public input on the needs, goals, and objectives of the city's CDBG program and funding recommendations for the 2023-2024 action plan and approve the recommendations of the Grant Funding Review Standing Committee for 2023-2024 CDBG funding to be included in the draft action plan. Okay, council questions. Not seeing any. Okay, then I'm gonna open the public hearing and see if we have any questions. We do not have any speaker slips, but if there are any members of the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, please raise your hand and I will call on you. I am not seeing any hands raised. Okay. I'm not seeing any. Uh, Councilmember Cariaco. I just want to thank the, the committee for the work, and I also want to thank uh, staff, Ms. Dawson, and everyone else that that uh, works on these issues. Um, I've had a chance to be a member of the Grants Committee in the past, as have a number of us up here, and I've always appreciated your professionalism and your hard work. 
uh, how organized the process is, the, um, the, got, the, the Grant Zoom or whatever the name of the app is. Um, I think that uh, this, this uh, committee and the work that they're doing for the disadvantaged, for seniors, for children and youth um, in our community, the homeless, it's just really important work. I just wish we could give them more money. <laughs> Thank you. It's always so um, rewarding to see all the good things that are happening out in the city and, um, and, and very grateful for that and then very hard to not be able to fund them all. Um, but thank you, Ms. Dawson and Mr. Valdez. Um, you know, you, you, you pulled this all together and really helped us fine-tune it, which wasn't easy at times. So thank you for that. Um, any more comments or questions? If not, I'm going to <coughs> excuse me, close the public testimony um, and the public hearing and entertain a motion. Who would like to make that motion? Uh, Pro Tem? Yeah, I'll go ahead and make the motion. So um, I guess it would be to approve the recommendations of the Grant Funding Review Standing Committee uh, for the 2023-24 CDBG funding to be included in the draft, draft action plan. Do I have a second? I'll second. Okay. Any more discussion? Seeing none, if we could do a roll call vote. Council members, please lock in your votes. Council member Kiriako. Aye. Councilmember Reyes-Martin? Aye. Councilmember Kasdan? Aye. Mayor Pro Tempore Richards? Yes. And Mayor Perotti? Aye. And I locked in my vote, so let's see if it's working now. There we go. Ayes have it. Thank you again so much. Madam okay. Mayor, the uh, planning staff requested that we take a five-minute break so they can get set up before the next public hearing. Okay. Five-minute break. Back to order. And if you could read the next item into the record, please. Item C2, Certification of Final Environmental Impact Report, SCH 201-504-1014, and approval of the Heritage Bridge 332 Residential Apartment Project that includes a General Plan GP amendment to remove an envi environmental sensitive habitat area designated as shown on GP figures 3-5 and 4-1, a vesting tentative map that consolidates 13 lots into 14 lots, and a right-of-way exchange, <clears throat> and a development plan for 332 units, 102 affordable units with two residence manager units and 228 market rate with state density bonus parking concession, a public park on a 17.36 gross acre site located on the north side of Camino Vista Drive between uh, Calle Corral and Aero Camino. Case numbers 14-049-GPA-VTM-DP-DRB, APNs 073-060-0312043. Thank you for that. Um, this is um, a public hearing. So um, we're going to start, um, I'll kind of go over the, uh, how we're going to handle this this evening. We're going to start with ex parte from the council, then I will go to staff's presentation, open the public hearing, and this will be an opportunity for the applicant's presentation as well. 
Um, they have a total of 40 minutes, so you can have 30 minutes for your presentation and 10 for um, um, uh, rebuttal or answer questions. Um, then we'll go to council questions, public testimony, and um, staff responses, more council questions of public uh, and staff. Close the public testimony portion of the hearing. Council deliberations, close the public hearing and entertain a motion. And that's where we'll go this evening. Okay, so um, Ms. Pazzi, are you gonna start us off? I am. Okay. So good evening, Mayor and Council members. And that all oh, was a- Excuse me, excuse me, I'm sorry. Ms. Garibaldi, oh. did I do something wrong? Oh, oh ex parte. Oh, I'll start, okay, thank you for the reminder. I'll start off. Um, over the years, I mean, this has been a process for since 2014. So over the years, I have met with um, the uh, developer and applicants and um, of recently I've met um, several times with um, the um, applicant and also with EDC. Um, I did not learn anything that's not um, on in this report um, and I have not made my mind up. <laughs> Council Member Cariaco. Uh, thank you Madam Mayor. Um, so let's, I began in uh, July of 2019 with uh, ex parte with Craig Minus, who is the agent for the prior applicant, the Tobe Group, uh, before they sold the property to Redtail. Um, I have subsequently spoken with agents for the current applicant between July of 2020 and March of 2023. Uh, finally, I've spoken on a number of occasions with the Environmental Defense Center, who have been agents for Goodland Coalition, Sierra Club, Audubon Society and Citizens Planning Association, among others, uh, between December of 2019 and uh, last month. Thank you. And uh, I'm sorry, and I need to also say I have not made up my mind, and I did not learn anything that is not contained now in the public record. Thank you. Ms. Reyes-Martin. Thank you. Uh, prior to being on council, um, I was involved with community groups that have had an active interest in this project, but I never took a position. Um, and since being on council, I've met with the applicant um, a few times about the project. Um, and I come uh, tonight into this project with an open mind and nothing I would rely on from any prior conversations isn't already um, covered in the staff report or in the public record. Thank you. Councilmember Cariaco, you're, you're still headed? Oh, okay, all right. Mayor Pertem Richards. Thank you. Uh, yes, I have also uh, met uh, with the applicant and including recently a site visit uh, to the area uh, under uh, proposed development. Um, and previously, I've also met with uh, representatives from the Environmental Defense Center about the project. And I did not learn anything that is not in the public record at this point, and I have not made up my mind as well. Thank you. Councilmember Kasdan. It's the same, I met with uh, the previous, the Tobes Group folks, I've met with uh, the current applicants, uh, Redtail, and, um, and I've met with EDC and multiple times for all of them over the years. It's been many years where this has been going on. And uh, it, it is uh, consistent with what's in the record as far as what I know and I have not made up my mind. Okay, I think we're ready to get started now, Ms. Pazzi. Sure. Um, well, good evening again, Mayor and Council members. Um, as uh, the clerk read into the record, this is quite a large project. Um, and just, I want to give a little bit of an introduction of who is here this evening <coughs> to give part of the, you know, give the presentation and then also be available for questions. 
Um, so as I indicated, I'm Lisa Prossi. I'm the current planning manager. Um, and uh, next to me is supervising senior planner Mary Chang, who has been the project um, manager for the city since we started in 2014. And she and I have been on this the whole time. Um, so in addition to Mary and I this evening, we have Peter Imhoff, our, the planning director who's available for questions, um, Winnie Kai, our assistant city attorney, uh, Megan Garibaldi, our city attorney. Um, also on city staff, we have um, George Thompson, who is in the audience, um, uh, representing the parks department, um, and Lucy Graham, um, who um, is our senior housing analyst, who is um, uh, attending um, virtually as well. And then Mark Schleich from our public works department, um, was running a little late and he will be here um, as soon as he can. So that's in terms of staff, in term, um, city staff, and then we also have joining us um, remotely is the environmental um, EIR consultant team. We have uh, Nicole West, who is the principal uh, project manager who um, oversaw the EIR, who will be um, giving a portion of the presentation. And with her is Holly Harris, who is a biologist with Rincon, and Chris Duran, who is an archaeologist, cultural resource specialist um, with Rincon. And then I also believe that Hannah Park, um, who, with uh, Best Best and Krieger, who um, specializes in environmental and CEQA law, is also joining us this evening. So with that, um, the presentation is going to be given um, by uh, Mary Chang, and then Nicole West, and then I'm going to round it all out. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Mary. Thank you, Ms. Prossi. Thank you. So good evening, Mayor and members of the council. We have before you tonight the long-awaited Heritage Ridge Project. Um, it's been in the works for a while. And I think everyone knows where the project site is, but um, it is north of Camino Vista and east of South Los Caneros Road. To the north is the Southern Pacific Railroad and Highway 101. And then to the south of the project site is Willow Springs 2 and Willow Springs 1. Um, and this project site was envisioned as the third phase of these uh, residential development, and it was known as Willow Springs 3 and then renamed Heritage Ridge. There are four components that are requested for approval by the council. First is a certification of an environmental impact report, then a general plan amendment to remove environmentally <coughs> sensitive habitat area designation, and then a subdivision map, a vesting tentative map to consolidate 13 lots into four lots. And finally, the development plan, which is for the development of the 332-unit project um, that composes of 102 affordable units with two manager units and 228 market rate units. So to provide some context and background, this application was submitted in 2014. It was originally submitted as a 360-unit project with 132 senior apartments, 228 market-rate apartments. There was no affordable component at that time. The application was then deemed complete in 2014, so this application is being processed under the old zoning code, Article 3. There was a draft EIR prepared and circulated in 2016, and um, that did not go to the decision makers at that time. So in 2019, um, there was an owner switch, as mentioned previously, that uh, submitted a revised project that composed of three, 332 units, which is what we're looking at today, 
Um, out of that, 102 are affordable with the two manager units um, and 228 market rate units. This new design did go to the design review board twice in 2020 and 2021, um, and it was a change from the original design, which we'll talk about in a little bit. There was a revised draft EIR circulated um, in 2021 that was due to the design changes and also some new CEQA laws that were um, since the 2016. The public comment period was open from May to June of that time for the, the re revised draft EIR. Then the final EIR was prepared in January of 2022 and made available to uh, the public um, on February of 2022. So this project was heard by the Planning Commission three times in March and April of 2022. And then in November, November 14, 2022, the Planning Commission did review all the components and recommended approval to the City Council. So briefly to touch on the project description, which we'll expand a little bit more later. Um, there is a general plan amendment is to remove the environmentally sensitive habitat area designation of coastal sage scrub from the site. That's to remove that from the map in the general plan. Um, our EIR consultant will ex expand on this as to why. And the, there's a vesting tentative map uh, to merge 13 existing lots and to resubdivide four lots. And there's also a roadway slope easement vacation to vacate to vacate three road and slope, ease, slope landscape easements and then to dedicate an area adjacent to Los Canaros to the city. So there's an exchange in uh, roadway. So the project description is a 332 apartment unit. It includes a two acre public park. If you look on the bottom left is the um, affordable senior component of the project and then the two buildings that are to the uh, right of that are the family affordable units and then the remaining buildings are for market rate with the two acre park in the center. As for the affordable units, the old zoning code which this pro project is being um, processed under does not require a affordable inclusionary housing component. So this project is voluntarily proposing the 102 affordable housing units at low income range with the two manager units. And the anticipated mix is uh, 40 units of senior affordable with one manager unit and then breakdown of 62 family affordable units with one manager unit. And this slide just shows um, anticipated mix of the different elements of the affordable. So there's a public park uh, that's Designated in the general plan is a two-acre neighborhood public park with active features. And um, policy OS 6.4 in the city's general plan open space element defines a neighborhood park as um, neighborhood parks provide the nearby residential neighborhood with active recreational activities for a variety of age groups. And the features in, that I'll list here does meet that intent of that policy, which is there's a grassy lawn area there's playground and tot, area, tot lot area, picnic area. There's a perimeter walking and jogging path that includes 10 fitness equipment stations. Uh, there's meadow with native grasses. There's the educational features of Shumash village renditions and native interpretive garden. 
Um, so we'll discuss the park a little bit more um, later as well. So the original architectural design on top graphic shows um, 360 units, and it's sort of uh, more institutional looking. And with the current design that was revised, uh, brought it to a more residential feel with the, with the design review board uh, complementing that as being more compatible with surrounding residential neighborhood. I also want to point out that the top figure, if you look at the very right part of, uh, there's a building that's three stories, and that got reduced in the current design to two stories. So um, I'm going to let Nicole West uh, with Rincon, Rincon Consultants that uh, manage the environmental impact report to take you through the CEQA path on this project. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to give an overview of the EIR that was prepared for the project. An EIR is an informational document that discloses information about the impacts a project could have on the environment. It also identifies mitigation measures to reduce those impacts and describes feasible alternatives to the proposed project. And the EIR must be certified prior to the project being approved. So the next slide shows the CEQA process for an EIR. The process starts with a notice of preparation being circulated for public comment. A draft EIR is then prepared and circulated for public review. Public comments are considered and addressed and a final EIR is prepared, which is then presented to the decision makers for consideration. So we're currently at the last step of the EIR process. There have been several planning commission hearings that were held in 2022, and now the EIR is being presented to the city council to consider certifying the document. So this is a summary of the EIR process. So the notice of preparation was circulated in 2015. The draft EIR was circulated in 2016. Then after incorporating project changes and considering some changes to the CEQA guidelines, a revised draft EIR was circulated for public review and comment in 2021. The city responded to the public comments received on both the draft EIR and the revised draft EIR and prepared the final EIR in January 2022. And that was made public in February of 2022 prior to the first planning commission hearing. Public comments on the EIR were then received in March and April of 2022 before the planning commission hearings, but after the close of the public review period for the EIR. The city did consider those comments and they added a preface chapter to the final EIR to address the comments that were received during the hearing process. So this slide summarizes the significant impacts that were identified in the EIR. So the EIR identified significant unavoidable impacts for cumulative impacts to cultural and tribal cultural resources, construction noise, and project level and cumulative solid waste generation. The EIR also identified potentially significant impacts for lighting, biological resources, geology and soils, and hydrology and water quality but the EIR incorporated mitigation measures for these topics in order to reduce the impacts to less than significant. 
There were several public comments received on the revised draft EIR that I want to highlight. The first was related to the Streamside Protection Area, or SPA, buffer to Los Carneros Creek. In response to these comments, the project applicant revised the project design in order to provide a 100-foot SPA setback. And that change was reflected in the preface chapter that was added to the final EIR. There were also comments received on the general plan mapping of the Environmental Sensitive Habitat Area, or ESHA, on the project site. Based on the biological studies prepared for the project, the on-site habitat does not meet the definition of ESHA. So next slide. There were also comments received related to wildlife movement and white-tailed kite, which the EIR found the impacts related to these topics were less than significant for the reasons outlined on this slide. So based on the comments received during the public hearing process and after the close of the revised draft EIR public review period, like I mentioned, the city added a preface chapter of the final EIR to address comments received related to the CEQA baseline and the 100-foot streamside protection area. The preface chapter also adjusts project changes that were made after the preparation of the January 2022 final EIR. The preface chapter does not change the final EIR findings or conclusions, but rather it provides clarifying information to address the public comments and the design changes. So I'm going to hand the presentation back to city staff. Thank you, Ms. West. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the park design, the uh, two-acre public park. This park has been uh, designed in collaboration with the Barriano Band of Chumash Indians, a local tribe. It's been, they've been engaged since the beginning of the process uh, uh, in 2014, maybe even earlier. Um, this park has been reviewed by the Design Review Board several times uh, with favorable comments on the overall design. Um, it was reviewed by the Parks and Recreation Commission, and the Parks and Recre Recreation Commission majority had some concern about the active element, whether the park was active enough to meet the general plan policy. So with that, the applicant took it back to the table to look at the park a little bit more. They came up with a less active design and a more active design just as uh, some options for, for, the, for consideration. The less active design just eliminates the 10, um, uh, 10 exercise stations that's on the, the pathway, the jog walking pathway, perimeter pathway. And then the more active uh, design, it's the same, but it includes a half basketball court and a, half, and a golf disc course uh, with a little smaller grassy area. Um, but, you know, it, it, they were trying to come up with a little more active component with the basketball and the uh, disc golf. Now, ultimately, the Planning Commission did choose the original design, um, which is on this slide, and that's their recommendation for your consideration and approval. So to discuss the affordable housing a little bit more, um, the Housing Authority of the County of Santa Barbara is to purchase lots one, or, one and two on or before June 1st of 2025. Um, to assist in partial funding of the acquisition with the City Council approval, the City will loan $1 million of affordable housing in lieu funds 
which is also uh, could be a forgivable loan. Um, Heritage Ridge will grade the entire site, which will include lots one and two, ready for vertical construction. Um, and also the Heritage Ridge and Housing Authority will enter into an affordable covenant and regulatory agreement that will provide for the affordable units with a term of 55 years. So the city, um, city staff has really been working with the Housing Authority and the Heritage Ridge um, uh, team to have some assurance that these affordable units will ultimately get uh, constructed because the timing of the Housing Authority um, construction will not coincide with the market rate housing. So um, some of the considerations and agreement was that within one year, Heritage Ridge can find another housing developer to develop the units under the same terms as provided in the conditions that um, is spelled out for the project. Or within seven years, Heritage Ridge can build the affordable units themselves. Now until, until either happens, the city will hold on to the Quimby fees that are paid by Heritage Ridge, and that's paid at the final map recordation. If neither of these options happen, the city will have the right to enforce violation of the conditions in accordance with our municipal code, including but not limited to revoking the, the development plan for the overall project. So lastly, um, a subject to highlight is the state density bonus concession. So because there's an affordable component with this project, it qualifies for a concession under the density bonus law. And the concession is the parking. Um, it's, it's proposed for, with fewer parking spaces than regularly uh, uh, required by our zoning code for the market rate units from 542 to 490 parking spaces. And to note that the 494 parking spaces actually exceed what the de density bonus law parking allows. So um, actually, Ms. Prosse will expand on this subject, and I'll uh, hand it over to her to talk about the errata that's been presented <coughs> to, um, to the council along with this subject. So um, thank you, Ms. Chang. So before we get into the errata and the applicant's requested changes, I do just want to highlight that we have received several comments on the project. Um, I didn't uh, count before the meeting, but I think we're about at 10 public comments um, in writing. Um, some of the comments you know, support the project. Some of the comments support the design, the Native American theme for the park. Um, and then there were concerns about water availability, um, the anticipated mix for the senior um, residential component. And again, that's what the applicant anticipates, it doesn't mean that is what it's gonna end up being, but right now, that's what they think the mix of units in both the senior and affordable component will look like. Um, and then there's questions or concerns about the archeological um, resources mitigation measure that measures that we have proposed. Um, and then we also had one comment that opposed the relinquishment of the right of way. Um, so that's just kind of an overview of the comments that we've received so far. Um, in terms of the errata, and I apologize that it, it <laughs> didn't go out until very late today. It, we've been working on it for 
many days now. Um, the errata does appear very lengthy, but it really isn't as bad as it looks because we copied over you know the whole um, entire entirety of the conditions. So it makes it look longer where you might just have to find where one word got changed or, or a couple sentences got modified. Most of these are because of either comments we receive from the applicant or from community members or um, as staff, as we were going through them, we realized that there were some, some things weren't clear and we were just trying to respond to those. So um, that's, and um, I'm not planning on going through the errata because it's very lengthy. And I figure if you had particular questions, you could, um, you would ask them um, at that point in the agenda. Now, in terms of the applicant's um, letter, um, they did make a request for several conditions to be modified. And I'm just going to highlight three of them. Um, and the first one is condition 17 to the vesting tentative map. Um, and they have um, made you know, several requests to modify that condition. And unfortunately, staff um, does not agree with the modifications that are proposed. And that is not in the errata. I'm sorry. It, it's one of the comment letters. <laughs> we did not propose to modify that one, um, primarily because the items that are listed are things that are mitigation measures. And even if the site wasn't going to be a city park, the, the requirements for the capping and the phase three and, excuse me, all of the requirements we have listed there um, would be the responsibility of the applicant, along with any private settlement agreement requirements. So we just did not feel it was appropriate to make those changes to condition number 17. Madam Mayor. Yes. Just real quickly. I just want to better understand the reason for that. Is the reason that you're not proposing that because if we start you know, participating in the mitigation of CEQA through a financial payout, does that set some kind of precedent we should be concerned about? Or Yes. I'm seeing nodding. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I just, wanted, I just wanted to get clarity on that. Thank yes. you. Yes. Um, and then one of the requests was on condition 47B. Now, this one is in the errata. Um, we did agree with the applicant in terms of the concept that they were proposing. And the concept is that they would will build the park, which they were planning on doing anyway. But as the condition was worded, that once the park was done, they would turn it over to the city through the process. And then there would be a 90 days where they would maintain the property and and you know make changes and and upgrade you know if things weren't growing, um, you know they'd have to you know change it and fix it and maintain it um, in the appropriate manner. Where their proposal was that they would build it, maintain it, and then turn it over to the city. And during that 90-day time period, you know their public wouldn't be allowed to use the site. They would give the plants and other you know the plants to actually. Um, take off, I don't know, what's the word I want, establish, establish without, you know, being trampled on. And, you know, we know, we know how the parks get used um, in a good way. But this would give, you know, the opportunity for the materials to establish. So we did agree with that idea and concept. And so then condition 47B um, in the errata reflects that change. Um, the other condition that um, we want to highlight that the applicant has requested that um, basically be deleted is condition 50B. And this one, staff, while um, staff isn't recommending the change, we know that that is something the council can consider. Um, staff does acknowledge that the reasons they're listing, you know, is that 
having this condition may affect their funding um, and loan issue um, for the property. And, um, but we are also recognizing that the applicability of the affordable housing law regarding concessions isn't really clear for this situation in terms of the applicant isn't directly constructing the housing. They are providing a site, but they aren't giving it to the applicant. They're actually charging for it. Um, but, you know, the applicant is gonna, you know, grade the property and, you know, there are um, covenants on the property that will pretty much almost guarantee, we're trying very hard, we can't say that's gonna guarantee it, but it's close, um, the provision of the affordable housing. So while we're not recommending changing it, we think it is, and it definitely is up to the council to decide um, whether or not to grant this request. And if you do wanna grant the request, when you make a motion, you can just simply um, move to strike condition 50B of the development plan. So I think that is it um, in terms of the errata. So then in, in conclusion, um, you know, for this project after eight years, um, you know, we, you know, the project site is designated an affordable housing opportunity site. The project is gonna provide 102 affordable units that will contribute to our arena number. And the project will also contribute just overall to our arena number, but the 102 will go a long way for our um, very low and low income uh, categories. Um, this will complete the third phase of Willow Springs, um, which is shown in the general plan as housing. Um, it does meet all of the zoning requirements and general plan policies that are applicable. Um, the EIR sufficiently analyzes the impacts of this project and there definitely has been a lot of public disclosure um, and discussion on that topic. Um, and the design review board has reviewed this project four times and does find the architectural style to be appropriate for this location and for the city. And then lastly, all of the findings can be made to support approval of the project as outlined in the four resolutions we have before you tonight. So, <laughs> if the council, our recommendation is that the council adopt the four resolutions that you see before you. The first one is the one that would um, adopt the CEQA findings, certify the EIR, adopt the MMRP, and adopt the statement of overriding considerations. The second one would adopt the general plan amendment to re remove the ESHA designation on the property because of all the studies that have been done that show that the ESHA isn't there <laughs> um, in the location that they are um, as shown in the general plan maps. The third one would be to approve the vesting map um, to merge the 13 lots into four lots um, based on the findings and subject to the conditions as amended in the errata. And then the last um, resolution would be to approve the development plan, again, based on the findings and subject to the conditions in the resolution and in the errata. So with that, um, oh, I, that concludes staff presentation. Um, and I think we're gonna move to the applicants presentation unless Gibaldi, did you have something you wanted to say yeah madam mayor i think um miss pressy may have said it but just to be clear for those that are watching the errata is posted online and is even though we didn't go through it in full detail it is available to the People public to review it. and it's okay. part of the record okay thank you for that um madam mayor is it possible to ask a, a couple of questions before we go to the applicant presentation i'd like to hear the applicant okay. presentation and then we'll go to staff questions i mean council questions Madam Mayor, 
Madam Mayor, sorry, I would hate to interrupt one more time, but can we open the public hearing since we're going to have the, the applicant speak right now? Okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I, can we oh, open the public open hearing? Open the public hearing. Thank you. It's right here in front of me. Thank you. I'm opening the public hearing, so go right ahead. Great. <coughs> Good evening, Madam Mayor, Good Council evening. members. Sure. Great. Thank you, Mary. Again, <laughs> third time's a charm. Uh, good evening, Madam Mayor, Council members, staff, and members of the public. My name is Tim Kim with TK Consulting, and I'm the project manager and representative for Redtail Multifamily Land Development. It's great to see you here tonight. With me, I have Jaron Nesman from my team, and we have quite a few members of our consultant team here, as well as online. Um, and I'll be introducing them more specifically um, when they come up to speak. A few of us are speaking here. Um, at long last, we've made it here. <laughs> so. Thank you all for your hard work on helping to get us here and on reviewing all the documents and the meetings and, and your invaluable feedback. We really appreciate it. I'd like to especially thank staff for their hard time over all those years. Um, they've been really great and I know it's, it's been a huge task and um, uh, Mr. Nisbet has come on most recently and uh, had quite the task getting up to speed but did a great job and kind of helped shepherd us here uh, to get to this hearing tonight and a lot of hard work from Peter and Winnie and Mary and Lisa and Mark and George and all the different departments of the city. So we really appreciate that. And then on behalf of Redtail, I'd also like to thank um, our, our builder par partner, Tobes Group, who has been in this for the longest of all of us, and for our affordable housing partner, the Housing Authority of the County of Santa Barbara with John Polanski and, and Bob. Um, they've been just invaluable. So on the screen right now, um, we have our landscape site plan. And as you might notice, it's a very tight site. When you look at you know, the streets, the buildings, the park, everything's in there um, pretty tight. Um, and I know Mary kind of already oriented you, but um, just maybe one more time, you've got the, the, on the left side, the three affordable buildings. The far left is, is a two-story seniors building and the next two uh, moving to the right are the family affordable, and then there's seven buildings that are market rate um, surrounding the two-acre public park. And Mary also went through the timeline. There's a few <laughs> things I'm crossing out here. I don't need to go through in much detail, um, but I did want to acknowledge the hard work that uh, the Topes Group did on phases one and two of Willow Springs and then starting Heritage Ridge before the passing of Mr. Tobes. Um, I think it'll be really nice to finish the legacy that he started. Redtail's involvement began um, in 2019. So we've been working on this for about three and a half years. If you go back to when Tobes Group started, as, clear, as far as we can tell, it's been over 12 years. We've had three design, re design review hearings, three planning commission hearings, and hopefully tonight will be our final hearing. So for project goals, when we start a project, our goal is, is always the same. It's, it's to come before you and try and make things easy for staff, for planning commission, 
and for city council by providing a project that meets the uh, city's goals, policies, development standards. Um, in this case, provides a lot of needing, needed housing, um, provide a public park and observe the environmental sensitivity of the site and of course provide a high quality design. With this project, um, as most would agree, it was a very complex site um, with, with many difficult challenges, thus the 12 years in process. Um, so it was tough to balance all the goals of the different groups, of the city, of the community, um, and with other uh, environmental groups. That said, I feel like the owners and consultant team have done a really great job um, and worked hard to address all the challenges that you see on the screen. We'll talk through a few of these. So right now we're looking at the site design constraints and you can see words kind of all over the place. And, and basically we're constrained by some physical constraints um, because we've got uh, the streets all around us that are locked in of course. And then we've got vertical topography that um, caps what our height is between that and the view uh, corridors that we have to protect. Um, so it's a pretty tight site. One item that's always really important to the community is uh, bulk scale and massing. You know, how big are the structures? How many units are there? What's the traffic going to be? All those are always top community concerns. So when we came in, um, the Topes group had already worked hard to address many of those and had reduced some of the massing. Um, we came in and actually um, reduced a number of sizes of buildings. We've got more two-story buildings now. We've got even the three-story buildings that have two-story elements. Um, the unit count had started at 360 units and went down to 353 units, and then it further went down to 332 units, of which, of course, 104 of those are affordable. The design was a big issue up front, too. You can see the Art Deco approach that was here, and, and again, Mary did address this a little bit. Uh, this slide shows it a little bit closer um, at one point, the Art Deco was kind of the thing, but when we came in, um, it wasn't well perceived. And so we made a pretty big change in going to Craftsman, not just because it, it took a lot of redesign, but if you look at the Art Deco, it's basically a bunch of square buildings and versus the Craftsman has a lot of articulation and special treatment, and it's just a lot more expensive to build. Um, for environmental, you've heard a lot of it already, but um, through all the work that was done, you know, the EIR finds the conclusions very positive. For the SPA buffer, we spent a lot of time working with EDC on this. And originally, back when we got involved, there was a request to reduce that 100-foot setback by about 33 feet. Um, the reason is that we found it was infeasible not to reduce it because we couldn't fit the parking and the buildings and things where they were. And so there was a lot of back and forth on this and staff strongly encouraged, uh, as did planning commission and, and city council, encouraged us to really work hard with the environmental groups and with EDC in particular and try and get to that 100 feet. Basically, the <laughs> in recommendation was to do everything you can to try and meet that 100 feet. And that was not a small task. Um, we ended up reducing, we shifted the road over. We, basically wiped out 
35 parking spaces. We reduced the landscape corridors. Then we got down to reducing, narrowing the buildings, moving the buildings close to each other, shifting those buildings over um, because between the utilities and the roads and the basins, there just was nowhere else to go. So it was a pretty significant um, investment on the point part of Redtail to make this work. And in the end, I think everybody was um, pretty happy with it. Um, the, kind of through the expanded efforts with Environmental Defense Center um, over, boy, the last 18 months at least, we made quite a few changes. And it's, I know it's impossible to read everything on this slide, but it's just kind of pointing out from vegetation to wildlife corridors um, to the uh, planting of a lot of uh, native vegetation and the SPA buffer area, there were a lot of changes. So at one point, this doesn't include the most recent ones, but um, we had produced that exhibit just for kind of optics to understand that. These were the top three um, issues that we had faced and that I've kind of described. So um, anyway, I think you guys understand that. So for the neighborhood park, a lot of time has been spent on this park. <laughs> um, and so we've kind of been all over the board and, and we've looked at a lot of different needs. And um, as we came on board, we added a, a lot more active elements while still respecting the cultural sensitivities here. And we worked really close with Shumash and they were really fantastic to work with. If they didn't like it, they said they didn't like it. And if they were okay and we so we kind of worked through a lot of changes and ended up with a really um, special project we're proud of the results we feel like um, they're sensitive they avoid the right impacts that we should avoid and um, but they kind of embrace the heritage that's the name heritage ridge they embrace the heritage of the site and actually create some cool educational elements that um, i won't steal kim's thunder if she wants to come up uh, kim trues our landscape architect with True Nature, and she's going to walk you through um, what we've done here. This one here? Okay. Good evening, Madam Mayor and Council Members. Thank you for your time. I'm Kim True with True Nature Landscape Architecture, and I'm going to be walking us through the landscape design this evening. So the landscape plan proposes an attractive blend of climate-appropriate water-wise and Mediterranean and California native plants, consistent with the WELO water conservation regulations. And they've been chosen to enhance the craftsman architecture and blend gracefully with the existing neighborhood. Locally native plants will filter stormwater and provide habitat in the project's stormwater basins and around the perimeter of the project. The two-acre neighborhood park is centrally located atop the knoll and has been carefully designed with input from the BBCI, um, the Barbarania Band of Chumash Indians, and the city park staff, George Thompson and Joanne Plummer. The park will provide a beautiful, active, yet peaceful urban nature experience, enhancing a healthy lifestyle with its multi-generational, inclusive design, and ample trees to further enhance Goleta's urban forest. It features a large grassy field for, for field activities and play, a picnic area, walking path, parkour exercise equipment, and a Chumash-themed 
educational play area. The park is envisioned to celebrate Chumash cultural heritage and inform visitors about the village which once occupied the site. It features an ethnobotanical garden to teach children and visitors about the plants that were important to Chumash culture. It features important animal tracks that will be in the, the uh, fall surfacing on the ground and incorporated into the play structures. And it will have a village component, um, which will feature an app or traditional house and a reed boat, which was used primarily in wetland for fishing, and which is different from the ocean-going boats that we're more familiar with. So it's going to have some, some interesting cultural um, educational components. It also has a story circle, which um, is designed around the, the Chumash um, sugar bear story. And this is going to be more of a quiet, reflective space that will be surrounded with the ethnobotanical garden. The interpretive play and active elements, active trail, grassy field are laid out to respect and protect very important Native American cultural resources on this site. The neighborhood park features the 10 station exercise park horse designed for people of all ages and abilities to get a full complete body workout and provides ample bike parking and auto parking. Picnic tables, barbecues, and a two to five-year-old Chumash village, the six to 12-year-old nature playground. And there's a lot of mounded topography to provide interest and highlight the views to the mountains from the site. The park provides access to nature and open space and enhances wildlife habitat, featuring locally collected native oak woodland and coastal sage scrub species. It really balances active recreation with protection of cultural resources and will be a wonderful community resource for everyone in Goleta and I think on the whole South Coast and something that the city will be proud of. And with that, I'd like to hand it over to the famous John Polanski of the Housing Authority. Thank you for that. Good evening, Madam Mayor, members of the council, staff, members of the public. My name is John Polanski. I'm Director of Housing Development with the Housing Authority of the County of Santa Barbara. And I have the next three slides talking about the affordable units. And let me see. Did that, okay. No, wait. No. Okay. I'm going back to Kim. Whoops. Okay. We will. Ah, okay. There we go. Um, we have the anticipated levels of affordability. These are estimates, um, but this is based on our track record the last 81 years and about 1,500 units that we have on the ground throughout Santa Barbara County. Uh, we estimate about 70 at very low, 32 at low, uh, at low. Very low, for the members of the public that don't know, is defined as 80% of the area median income and below. Very low is 50% of area median income and below. And the rents are set to be approximately 30% of the individual's income at those varying income levels. Uh, we anticipate that all of the units will have project-based vouchers, all the non-manager units, which will allow even people that have been uh, dislocated from their income, such as people experiencing homelessness who often don't have income that will not preclude them. That will not be a barrier 
for them coming into the, the housing. 30% of zero is zero. Their portion would be zero until they get connected back to their income. The question may come in too, why the two manager units don't have income restrictions. And that's really so that we can uh, attract and uh, retain the highest qualified property managers. We need property managers with a vast amount of experience. All right, uh, going on to RENA, which is a favorite topic the last few months. Uh, for those that do not know yet, that is the regional housing needs allocation. And that is a number that the state uh, HCD housing community development provides to the region. The region then divides up to the cities and to the unincorporated area of the county. And these are basically an estimate of the housing units, the number of housing units that we needed to house the people in the various jurisdictions. The one thing I would like to highlight is um, the very low and low anticipated numbers for the affordable units at Heritage Ridge will meet approximately 10% of what the upcoming RENA needs requirement is. So it's good news for the city in meeting that. The even better news for me and the housing authority is we're housing people. And that's a number of households that need housing that would be housed. And then moving on to the, the affordable housing, the critical path. We spend a, a good deal of time, and, and staff acknowledge this, um, setting aside how we could provide some assurances to the city that the affordable units would be built. So first thing we did was we went out for the only funding we could get, receive prior to entitlements. And that was State of California Housing for a Healthy California, HHC funding. But you can see it's a significant amount of funding that we already have committed from the state uh, to both projects combined, it's $12 million. Now, there is a supernova that is expected to be released next month. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it is not some celestial body that is heading toward Earth. <laughs> it is a notice of funding availability that is put forth by State Housing and Community Development Department beyond the HHC funding that's already committed. What makes it super is it's a variety of different funding sources. So instead of just having one funding source coming out in the NOFA, there will be several. Uh, so we are really excited about the potential for being able to apply for that funding. Um, they estimate the release in April next month. They estimate the application deadline in June. We would not qualify for this funding. We would never get any funding committed from this supernova if we don't have the full entitlements. Uh, and then it's just the tax credits are the final piece of the puzzle that, that we would receive. And with that, I will turn it back to Tim. And thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, we've got um, a, a pretty cool video that, you know, sometimes it's really hard to envision or visualize projects and you can get three-dimensional pictures, 3D pictures that look, uh, that kind of help a lot. But in this case, there's so much dirt on that site that you just think of stuff going on top, but it doesn't because those are stockpiles that come down. So we did kind of a fly around where you, if, if you're in your car and you're driving around the property and it's built out, you know, here's a pretty good rendition of what it would look like. You need a drum roll? No, they use the architectural CAD drawings 
um, and then they use the elevations, the topography, the engineer's CAD, and then they, they create it from that. Yeah. I'll narrate a little bit, assuming this works. <laughs> kind of know where you are, although probably most of you already know that. Is this going against my time? Okay, so there's the corner, Calle Coral and Los Carneros. So you're going toward the freeway right here. And so as you go, you're kind of elevating, obviously, and the site's down below. So it really, it, it doesn't stand up high as you might think. Mm -hmm. You can see kind of the carports there with the affordable that we just passed. And now you're looking at the market rate. And we're getting right up to the corner, and you'll kind of see down the backside as if you're looking down kind of along the railroad tracks. might need a Wi-Fi boost. <laughs> so, so that's the, the parking row, the alley that you just saw going down behind. And then this is back at the corner again, Housing Authority, Building 1, uh, the two-story building there. And then that's their, their entrance with the amazing landscaping that Kim True did. And then the Family Affordable, we're getting to it, it's right there. And as you kind of come down that corner, the pickleball will be right there on the left. Now we're going up Camino Vista, a little further to the main entrance to the park right there. And the first entrance to the market rate as well. Further up Camino Vista, we'll get to the second entrance. And then it kind of zooms out so you get a more of a bird's eye, kind of oblique picture. You can see the park better from this view. So uh, as Kim might have mentioned, she's done some mounding and stuff. So um, it kind of, when you're in the park, you feel a little more secluded and stuff. So there you go. All right, thanks for figuring that out. So we've got two slides of the project attributes, and we've, we've really talked through most of them, but I guess just to say that there are quite a few project attributes, and these were some of the key ones. Go back over to the second slide. Are we frozen? I don't mind staring at the project attributes, but there we go. Ah, very good. Okay. So um, I think it's important to just give a little context here on the affordable, and especially um, when we're talking about that condition 50B. 
Um, when Redtail bought the property, they hadn't planned on providing affordable. It wasn't a requirement, and it wasn't in the pro forma or the budget to, to provide the affordable. Um, it was under the old zoning co code. Ultimately, um, through a, a lot of encouragement from uh, Peter and his team and uh, Planning Commission, City Council, um, Redtail and Topes kind of teamed up together and figured out a way to do it. And there was a lot of discussion there because um, there's some potential challenges in addition to the obvious, um, you know, lost revenue and whatnot. Um, and so Redtail had said, okay, we're willing to do the affordable um, provided that the affordable, because we have a lot of projects where we've got a, a market rate and affordable, and so this comes up a lot. And so we said, you know, when we go to get our loan, there's certain things that the lender won't support. And so we said, we'll do the affordable, but we can't tie the construction of the affordable to the construction of the market rate or the um, CFOs of, you know, certificates of occupancies of the market rate or any of that, because a lender has to lend on first developing the entire site, all the grading and infrastructure and everything that we would be doing. And then of course on our buildings. And if it's tied to something on the affordable that we don't control, cause we're um, selling that to a legit affordable group, then, you know, it's, it's a really high risk. And so they're not willing to lend on it, or if they do, the terms are extremely unattractive, meaning it cost us hundreds or even over, over, even over a million dollars. So, so we said, can't tie those together. Staff said, okay, but we want assurances it's going to get built. And city council is going to want assurances that it's going to get built. So we went through um, a long period of discussion on what those assurances are and made quite a few assurances. And you can see some of it, some of the key ones are deed restricting it for, so we're gonna design it for affordable, um, entitle it for affordable, deed restrict it for affordable. We're going to, we being Redtail is going to grade the affordable pad and provide utilities step to the site. Um, We said as part of that, we're saying housing authority. Now at the time they weren't involved. And so we said, we will bring in, you know, we can do it, but if we do it, it's going to be, you know, at the highest rate of income allowed under the low income. Um, and we're not, we're not really set up for that. So we said, we'll bring in a legitimate um, affordable housing group, which we bought, brought in who we think is the best in the area, the housing authority. And so that's a done deal. Then discussing closings and more assurances and everything, we said, okay, we'll set an outside close date. And the housing authority, to their credit, said, we're willing to close without having the tax credits. And that, I personally haven't ever seen that happen. I don't know if they've done it before, but um, they said, in this case, we'll do it. We know the city, we're comfortable, we'll do it. Um, there were some other backup provisions and whatnot, and of course, the covenants and regulatory agreement that normally goes with it. So all that was committed uh, by Redtail and by the housing authority. And to date, we've performed on all those assurances that could be done to this point. Some of them are, of course, after entitlements. I'll circle back to that in a minute. Um, this, you know, as we start getting into budgets, you know, originally we made some, some offers of different think contributions and covering certain costs. And as things got went and it started to kind of build and build, we thought we'd put together a little summary to give you an idea of um, 
some of the contributions that were made, again, to give you a little bit of context, and um, hopefully you can see that maybe on your screens, but a little hard from here, that bringing in and selling to affordable um, reduced the land value quite a bit, and for a, a group like Redtail, if they were to build the, the units that were originally proposed, that the value of those would be about 70 million, um, and the kind of reduction in land value was about 7 million. And then there were some of other um, gives with the uh, EDC and development. In fact, these are over $3 million just for the market rate. Um, architectural redesign, we, on the storm drain, um, it, there was a, a storm drain that comes off of Los Carneros Road that we felt was the responsibility of the city because it wasn't working and it was just the pipe sticking out in the air, it's broken, it's dumping water down that hill and it's you know eroding the hill. And there was some back and forth and we said, well, okay, um, we'll cover that cost. That was kind of before all these other costs came in. Um, so there's several other costs there, but basically if you don't count the full value of the built buildings, you're still at over $11 million. And that also doesn't include the increased cost of construction uh, of the craftsman style, which is several million dollars more than the previous uh, design would have been. So I, I know this has been running a little bit long. Um, still got a little bit of time left on the, the clock here, but um, I'm just hoping that, you know, you'll recognize um, the significant amount of challenges we faced and the positive results that were achieved through all the efforts. And by working with the community, BBCI, the city, and many other stakeholders, we've developed a well-balanced plan that provides um, cultural resource protection, preservation, and education, <laughs> high-quality public park with a wide range of active and passive amenities, a project that respects the environment, and very much needed rental housing. And I hope you'll agree and support, uh, give your vote of support for the project. So we just, that's the end of the presentation. I, there were a couple of conditions that we asked it asked for relief on, and that's what this is. And basically, everybody, we budgeted to have the park built and reimbursed, you know, fee credits and then reimbursement if it ran over fee credits. And the short version is that um, everything was good and through planning commission, it was okay. And then this change came up recently. And I think what happened was, um, Staff and others figured out that they kind of asked, hey, what, what's a park going to cost? And figured out that we're paying $3 million in fees and the costs are $3.7 million. And it's like, oh, gee, we're going to need to reimburse 700000 And that wasn't really, I think, understood. And so they said, well, we don't really want to cover the capping of the site, basically, and that would have been required anyway. If it wasn't a public park, it wouldn't have been required. Um, but again, we purchased the property assuming that everything would be covered. And that's okay. You can keep going on for a couple of minutes. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. And what happened is originally our fees, instead of being three million, would have been about four point four million. But when we dedicated the affordable and the city waived the affordables fees for parks, all of a sudden the fee came down one point four million. So then Redtail felt like, uh, you know, we're doing this great thing, but now we're being dinged because the fees don't cover it, and folks don't want to, you know, do a reimbursement. So we're requesting that um, the the part that the nearest we can tell is about four hundred fifty thousand. That's the part that it looks like it would not be reimbursed with that uh, capping work. 
And so we're requesting that. And if that can't be agreed to, another option might be that drainage work, which is substantially less, but that might be an option. I'm not thinking of anything else that worked for that. And then the last thing is on that um, condition 50B. So, so for 17, we're just asking all that, that the hard cost, hard construction cost and construction drawings would be covered and we'll cover the soft costs. On 50B, um, so this is the thing where I said we just can't tie the timing of the affordable to the timing of the market rate. And yet, that's exactly what we're doing. We're saying if the affordable hasn't started construction, then you can't have your final occupancy. Lenders hate that. So the condition is saying, hey, if you don't start the construction, you got to build 31 parking spaces up somewhere else, like on the affordable. And we will, by that time, have sold the affordable to the housing authority. So it won't even be our property. It just creates all kinds of problems. So we're asking... Uh, that you would strike that condition. It's it's um, redundant, basically, with all the other things that we've provided. So thank you. Thank you. Okay, questions? From council. Council Member Uh Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, first of all, I, I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for jumping into this process in 2019 um, and the strides that that you've made to date. I think it's important to note that this began as a larger project with no affordable housing. And so that's a, a significant give. I mean, um, I don't have the, the data back up on the $7 million land value or the $70 million affordable housing value, but I mean, what a screaming headline, right? I mean, if it, it, one of those, I mean, if true, that's incredible. And uh, it, it's clearly a high value no matter what the, you know, the, the perfect calculation would be. So I just, I want to thank you because that's a, that's an incredibly uh, significant concession. Um, Appreciate that. Can you, can you talk a little bit, I'm not sure if you'd be the best person or if it would be uh, Mr. Plansky. I'd, I'd love to learn a little bit more about um, the folks living in the affordable units and their ability to access amenities consistent with uh, other residents. Okay, um, or if you got it. So then. why don't I start it, and then and John can answer from his end. Are you saying which amenities are you referring to? Just you know, access to the park, and you know, sure. I'm trying to think like the end user. What would the lived experience for, say, someone living in the family affordable be in comparison to someone living in the market rate? Okay. Oh, so comparing those two. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so the. The affordable has their own amenity packages, so the folks would be have access to those pickleball and and their community center and that kind of thing, and then of course right next door the park. Um, as compared to the market rate, that would have access to their own amenities, you know, on the inside as well as the park, and so they each have different amenities. So um, this came up before, in particular about the pool, and yeah, so. We actually, part of the reason we built the tot lot in the park is because, you know, the we thought that would be good for the community at large, but also the affordable folks to use it because they didn't have space to put a tot lot in. And it's just tough to say, hey, can we just, can everybody use the tot lot, you know, in the market rate because, you know, it's 
you know, there's protection and safety and you don't know who's coming in and, and everything. We're like, okay, we'll, we'll build you one. We had a pool in the affordable site as well. So both had a pool and, uh, but John can talk to the pool, but my understanding is that they removed it because it's just not that big of a, a need for them. It doesn't get used that much and they've also reduced it other places. I don't think they do pools pretty much ever. The other affordable groups we work with have had the same stance. And so for the market, you know, that's a separate owner. They got to manage it. They have liability. They have all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, that those interior amenities are for them exclusively and not meant to keep other people out, but it just, it, it creates all, you know, a lot of different issues. So, you know, happy to give the affordable, but, but to do, you know, beyond everything that's done would be, be um, so, so it's a substantively equivalent experience. Right. Okay. That's a good way to describe it. But John, you want to give your... Uh, thank you very much for the, the question. Now I'll address it really quickly. <clears throat> As the council knows, uh, with our, you're working on Buena Tierra, the former Super 8, we're actually filling in a pool. Uh, and we're doing that simply because the individuals who are there, it could pose a danger um, to the, the particular um, group of individuals that we're, we're going to house there. Uh, it would be a constant uh, battle with the property manager and with others trying to make sure that, that um, the pool did not become a hazard to individuals living there. Um, and then there's the cost. Uh, when you're talking about a, a new construction development like Heritage Ridge, our feeling is the public policy um, tax credits were not meant for swimming pools. And um, taxpayer dollars were not really meant for swimming pools. And so um, there is one property that we bought that had a pool up in the city of Lompoc it's a relatively small development. We did not fill in that particular pool. It's a family development. And that pool was used, which is actually pretty uncommon um, for the individuals that, that we house. So one thing, though, this is not brand new. Um, Tim and I have had this discussion uh, for a while now. And we're, we're, we're wanting to try to see. We do know that, particularly in the family units, the kids are gonna be going to school together. The kids are gonna be playing together. If there's a pool party next door, our kids are gonna be invited to the extent that kids are invited uh, to pools. And so that's not part of the question. The question would be if on a case by case basis, somebody said, you know, uh, I really, you know, would like to use it. What Tim is committed to is that we could, you know, at least we can talk about it. We'll have the property managers get together we do want to make sure, though, that it's an individual, because we house people um, who are very vulnerable, and they'll be vulnerable seniors, they'll be vulnerable um, veterans, people coming out of homelessness. Uh, for one thing, the last thing on their mind typically is, is a pool, but there might be some folks who would you know, want to use it. And so what, what we've talked about is just not a blanket, it's open you know, no matter what, but that there might be a, a system of, of passes or something um, that the um, property manager could work with the property manager on, on the other side. But at the end of the day, um, most of our families, the vast majority, are, are not pool users. They will be park users, though. They are very, very heavily. In fact, to the extent that the state, you may remember a program uh, that came out a few years ago that tied parks money 
to affordable housing is our folks do use parks. Thank you. I, oh, I'm not done with you yet, if you don't mind. <laughs> I, I was just trying to get a sense of, is it going to feel segregated? And it sounds like no. So let me, I, sure. I, not for you to respond, just uh, justifying the question. Um, help me understand. So if, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm married and I have one child, so a, a three-person household, um, what income levels could I be at and qualify for the very low or the low? The, could, could you help me uh, understand so that you know, members of the public sure. that are watching and they're trying to think like, wow, could this be me living here in a few years? Who would be the me in that scenario? I am going to try to guesstimate what the area median income numbers are now. And somebody can fact check me on it. But I believe it's still in the 90000 dollars range for a family of four. So if we're talking about a family of four, let's, let's give them an extra kid. Okay. Um, in, in that example, for the low income, that would be 80% or approximately 72000 I don't have my calculator, so somebody can check me on that. Um, again, for that family of four, it would be the total household income would be around 72000 For the very low-income units, it would be half, so it would be about 45000 you know, give or take. And then we back into what that rent would be that would be affordable to the family of four making, say, 72000 It's approximately 30% of their income. Uh, that would be the, uh, the monthly rental is how we come up with that. Now, with the Section 8 program, as I said, our, our goal is to have all the non-manager units with project-based Section 8. What that means is that whatever their varying income is within that range, they may not even have to pay that full tax credit rent because it would be approximately 30% of whatever their actual income is, and the rest would be paid out of the Section 8 program. Did that answer your question? Yeah. So, so yeah. staff actually just... Uh, crunch some numbers for me okay. so I can actually, I can kind of do a little education here. So with with an AMI in the county right now at $100,100, uh, for very low, an, a single individual at very low could get in at 48900 The couple you mentioned with the, the two kids would be $69,850. Um, if they were low income, a family of four would qualify at 111900 and a single individual would be at 78350 Okay. Thank you for whoever crunched the numbers. Thank you, Madam Mayor and Councilmember Kiriako, um, I think that John answered the question, but we do, I wanted to note, have our senior housing analyst, Lucy Graham, available if we want to go into that topic further. Uh, she may I, I'm not looking to go further down that road. Thank you. Um, okay, thanks. Sure. And then can I have Tim back? Whatever you need. <laughs> uh, just just a couple follow-up questions. So the in the staff presentation, uh, there was mentioned that the project qualified for bonus density, and I noticed that you mentioned in the in the presentation that you have reduced units over time. Um, I just want to be clear. So did you end up at any point requesting additional units for bonus density? No. Okay. So that was another concession on, on your part. Yeah, it's a little bit of a weird thing. It's a kind of a misnomer, but you can get... Uh, density bonus and qualify for it, but not need more units, but you get the incentives and concessions. Okay. And then I, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the conditions that you raised. So you brought up the vesting tentative map condition number 17. So 
you know, and, and I don't want this to come off as aggressive or curt or anything. So you mentioned that the you, you mentioned that if you if the park wasn't required, you wouldn't have to paid so much mitigation, essentially. I'm paraphrasing. But you knew that the general plan calls for a park, and you've also noted that Willow Springs was ultimately at one point one big project. This was kind of just what was left. So, I mean, you, you knew the park, there was going to have to be a park. I just wanted to kind of get that on the record. Right. There was, at, at one point, a question had come up related to, um, you know, hey, you have to do the cap no matter what. And so the comment was, it's more from the context of you go and you buy property, and if there wasn't a park, you wouldn't have paid based on getting the value for the land, and you wouldn't have assumed you're going to build the park. You just leave it open space. So it's a little more from an owner buying the property and the assumptions that then led them to say, okay, we'll do this, and we can do these other things and contribute these other areas, and then there's a little bit of a surprise at the end that that wasn't going to be paid just because right. it never came up before. At, at the end of the day, it was the concession on the affordable that exacerbated the impact. C correct. And keep in mind, I, this was not in the planning commission either. So it just, it's come up that recently. I, I understand. Okay. So, you know, we've had staff recommendation on that and I'm sure at the appropriate time deliberations, we'll discuss, discuss that point. And then um, the other one that I wanted to ask you about was the density bonus uh, parking concession. So, uh, so you noted that you didn't go for the de the bonus density on the, on the housing, and, and that's fine. And, and I think you very clearly explained that. Um, help me help me understand the impact on your ability uh, to finance. And I'm not taking a position right now on this either way. But just can you help me better understand how essentially 30 parking spaces setting aside for the moment whether the project could benefit from them, is that really the best mitigation? Setting those points aside, um, can you just help me better understand, like, what does that do from, from the finance side? I mean, is this, like, a really significant hit? Um, just help me better understand. Sure, yeah, there's lots of pieces to this, so it's a good question. Um, so at the end of the day, keep in mind, there's no place to put the 31 spaces on you know, parcel four, lot four where the market rate is. So there's no place else to put it except on lots one and two. And so you would be putting them on lots one and two temporarily, right? Because ultimately then you're gonna have affordable there. So you're not getting any long-term benefit of parking. So that there's no no real benefit. It's just sort of a, I don't know, it feels a little bit of a handcuff or something. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe it's meant to be one more assurance, um, but so from that end, there's really no benefit. It's just it just penalizes us, basically. I, I hear you. From a lender side, they look at it and they say, we they look at all our conditions, everything, and they go through it with a fine tooth comb and they're trying to find out are they going to get bit by something because all of a sudden something hurts the project. And so if you can't get your final occupancies, you can't get that revenue. It's a big deal for the lender. And they're looking at what's out of our control. And they would ask us, well, why are you having to do that? It's an affordable project. And we'd be like, you know, just the timing didn't happen. You know, the affordable took longer. None of us think it's going to take longer. So, and, and on, okay, so that's the lender issue. If you follow that, they don't like it. They hate it. So they go, okay. What they would say is, all right, we are going, going to underwrite this deal in the worst case scenario, which they always do. And they're going to say, we're going to assume you're going to have to build those. 
So what's that mean? So give us an estimate. So you've graded that pad. Now you got to go in and pave it and put these different things in. You got to grade access to it. You got to build those parking spaces. How are people going to get there? You know, all that kind of stuff. And then it all gets torn out. So whatever, hundreds of thousands, million dollars, whatever it is, they say, okay, we're going to put that in the cost and you're going to have to pay that cost before we start funding our loan. You know, they put it on the equity side. So, so that, and it's just, you know, it's just extra unnecessary cost. Now, you know, this is, as we've discussed a lot, one project, right? One project, if you have X percent affordable, it's considered an affordable project. We have three times that with 31%. So it is an affordable project. The state does not differentiate when they look at these kind of incentives. They don't differentiate between, hey, who's going to build which side? You know, I mean, you get developers that develop and sell it off to builders, and they don't build any of it, you know? So the fact that we're not building it is a positive for you all because John's group's gonna do a lot better job operating affordable at, at more attractive income rates than what we would. It would be like saying, because we contract out with the Sheriff's Department for police services, someone trying to argue we don't have a police force. When we do, it's just, yeah. you know, they're not our sworn officers. They're That's a good the analogy. Counties. All right, like thank you. I'm done with my questions. Thank you very much. All right. Representative Kazdan. Yeah, uh, first um, for you, Mr. Kim. Uh, so one of the things that, you know, when I think, when I originally was looking at the project and one of the things that I was uh, wondered about was the extent that this would enhance congestion because it is a congested area. And one of the things that uh, you had described was the your preferred employer program of Goleta. Could you describe that and uh, for others and, and how that might help in some ways with respect to the um, congestion and so forth if people are working nearby? Sure. So um, Redtail is not only the, you know, owner developer, but, but they, you know, will build and own, you know, GC out, but the, the market rate and then they'll manage it. They've got their own property management. Um, and that's under Redtail Residential, and which is also associated with Trinity. And those are some of the top property management uh, companies in the nation, um, you know, win awards, all that good stuff. And so they operate um, two properties right next door at Village of Los Carneros. And so they already have a program in place where they meet with the local employers and they offer incentives where um, I don't know what all the incentives are, uh, but they try and attract um, residents that uh, work at the local employers. And so, um, you know, I kind of think of our project as facilitating jobs housing balance um, because, you know, we're people have to drive so far to get to work because there's just not housing. So we're providing it here and, and hopefully, you know, not everybody's going to work down the street, but we do have that program. Well, I think it, it's more than just jobs housing imbalance to the extent that it, uh, by having a program like that, it reduces both congestion. If people can take alternative transportation and, and walk and so forth and vehicle miles traveled, which is one of the goals that we have with uh, our housing element and so forth. So, um, and I don't know how many, how many employers uh, are participating, you know, offhand? 
in our area. I don't, but I know it's like thousands of employees represented through that program. Um, but but the ones I always think of is all the ones going down, um, like Los Carneros and Calle Corral and Calle Coral. Um, anyway, we could get you a list if if you want. But I asked that question when we way back when we first brought it up, and right. yeah, it's a pretty good program. Okay, uh, and then I had for Mr. Polanski, I had a uh, question that's kind of related. And uh, so do you guys have a um, preference for who gets into the program and determines who gets into the program? And in particular, I was interested in uh, the preference associated with the seniors uh, to the extent that people in the area no, when, when, when we talk about affordable housing, for instance, one of the things that comes up are families that are concerned that their um, uh, children won't be able to find housing, they can't afford it. Well, the, the opposite is true, too, that the, their retiring parents would want to be able to find uh, housing in the area. And so both for the standpoint of people in the area having an opportunity to find housing for their retiring or the, their parents, but also I just want to add one other characteristic about it is to the extent that there is somebody who has an apartment, who's a senior, who has an apartment or a house or something, who chooses to move into a place like this, it frees up some other place. If they're downscaling, <laughs> let's say, it frees up a unit elsewhere in the city. So I was curious about the local preference that you have for people coming into affordable. Yes, uh, I, I really appreciate that, Council Member. Um, we have a broad brush um, local preference, and that is for anybody currently living and or working in Santa Barbara County. That's the broad brush uh, preference. Uh, then we have additional preference points uh, for people experiencing homelessness, um, those who are dislocated by governmental action, and then ultimately veterans get an extra point um, on, on top of anything else. Uh, so they would go to the, the top of the list. Now occasionally, depending on the funding sources, we've been able to work with our general counsel and craft uh, without violating fair housing a preference that's more locally defined. I couldn't promise that tonight, but I can promise that we'll explore if there's the possibility of doing that. But in addition to that, that broader preference, um, the fact that local individuals watch our developments from the ground up, and they will email me and call me and others within our, our staff when is that list going to be open? When is that list going to be open? When is that list going to be open? So more often than not, um, it is the vast majority of the folks that are the first to come in at the time that the lists are open are the people in the local area that have been watching the development uh, from the ground up. And, and so I, you know, I, I actually did a study with a couple of developments that we opened in the last few years in Santa Maria. And it was over 80% of the individuals without a Santa Maria preference were people that were already in the Santa Maria area. And part of that was because they watched these developments being, being built. But the other part is even people experiencing homelessness feel a connection to a community. 
I mean, the people in the point in time count that we just had who are experiencing homelessness in the city of Goleta, for whatever reason, they feel support or uh, comfort, so they identify with the city of Goleta. And so typically, that's uh, individuals will want to move into new affordable housing within an area in which they already have a comfort level. Yes, I mean, uh, we could have a whole presentation on the uh, uh, okay. on that, but there's such a substantial number of people who are homeless who are working, who can't afford housing, yes. who are from this area, and I don't remember the percentages offhand, but this is a great opportunity for those folks. But, the yeah, I, as far as the retirees, the... Um, What's valuable in a way is to know that it's not going to be retirees from Bakersfield or something like that, thinking, oh, Santa Barbara, this is a cheap way to get into a nice unit in Santa Barbara, as opposed to the people who are in the area who really right. could now, use it. Now, Fair Housing says we have to let them apply, but they do not get the local preference points. <laughs> Sounds good. So fair. just to clarify that yes. we, we do have folks from L.A. and Bakersfield that apply, but they do not get the local preference points. All right. Thank you. Actually, for Tim, I had one other question for you, if you would. Thank you. Uh, well, actually, first, one <laughs> small thing. Pickleball? When did that come? I don't remember the pickleball really? coming that's, in. That's John's brainchild. Is that yours? Yeah, no, that's going to be super popular. There's no question about it. Uh, I just didn't, uh, interesting. Okay, no, it's just a philosophical question in a way. So I remember this project from earlier before 2019 and I could go through all the characteristics of it, but I was not a fan. Uh, and so if you went through sort of the, you know, all of the lack of affordability, the appearance of it, I, you know, I can go through what changed I, I'm just, is it that market, that rents went up a lot and it gave you guys more flexibility to be able to accommodate some of the, the, um, the goals that the council and others had been expressing? I'm just curious, what happened to, to free up and, and make you guys so much more flexible and willing to, to do these changes? I mean, the main Which question is, nice? is it wasn't us. Is that, it wasn't us we didn't create the previous project. So what happened was the previous project got right up to this point, well, planning commission, I guess, and almost came before you and there were these issues that you kind of point to and, and others. And then, so they pulled it off and went back to the drawing board to kind of probably relook at these things. Some time passed, Mr. Tobes passed away um, they decided to sell the property. We came in and just said, kind of fresh look, hey, what are all the issues? And so we sat with staff. We went through all those issues. Um, you know, maybe back when it was originally designed, it was a different world. I mean, affordable was different, you know, 10, 12 years ago, right? I mean, huge differences with that now. Uh, a lot more state funding, those kinds of things. And, and so at the end of the day, Redtail came in and said, yeah, we agree that doesn't look so great and we'll do the nice architecture and we'll do these other things and we want to make a really great project and they really didn't want to do the affordable. They said no on the affordable. So they were of the same because they just don't do affordable and it's a huge, huge cost. And so, but, you know, after going around for quite a while on it, finally decided, okay, um, 
we'll do it and we'll not only do it we'll do it kind of at a big way because that that area of the property kind of really all goes together so you just sort of benefited from the topography among you know for lack of a better way to explain it and they said we'll take that whole area and we'll create that as affordable and and we'll you know kind of take the hit on that um, as long as we can do this other stuff so you know it's just a different developer and different time no, it's just remarkable to go from zero affordables to 102. It's really impressive. Okay, those are my questions. Thank you. Mayor Tim Richards. Thank you. Um, hello, good to Hi. see you. Uh, so some of the questions that I have are with regard to uh, sustainability, uh, environmental sustainability of the project. And I just I want to say I, I appreciate uh, the efforts that, that you've all made to Increase your setbacks from the the, esh, the from the uh, streamside protection area and the other things that you've done to rework the project. I think have been great. Um, I have some questions regarding some things that are actually in our new zoning code that 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 weren't in the old one. But it seems like you've gone above and beyond in so many areas that I just have to ask about some, some of these. So, sure. with regard to um, EV charging stations, is this something that is included in the project? Sure. So. While we're under the old zoning code, you're under the current building code. So the current building code, um, you know, we used to do more than what was required, but they keep pushing it up so fast, you know, <laughs> they caught up to us. So we're probably around there, but we've got solar on the um, on the parking areas, and we've got the EV charging stations and everything that at least meet code, which is which is a lot. I mean, we've across the street. You know we've got them, and they actually don't get used that much. Ultimately, we think they will, but but they don't right now. But so, do you know how many of the EV charge chargers you have? Fifty total. Okay, all right. And and you mentioned uh, solar panels, so you I have. I know what you guys are all thinking. You're going to drive over there and charge, right? <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew it, Peter. I saw it. We'll be getting seventeen of our own right over here. So. Okay, there you go. <laughs> we'll have a lot in this Congrats. neighborhood. Uh, so, uh, and you mentioned solar panels on the carports, is that right? Yes, correct. Um, and is that, will that be just to generate electricity for the common area expenses? Is that the way that would work? Do you know? <coughs> okay, so total power demand, we have to meet a certain percent of the total power demand. Okay, okay. Um, and. You know, you mentioned the building code, and uh, something that will be coming up before us uh, at some point later this year is with regard to uh, natural gas, uh, the REACH code, and natural using natural gas in building. Does your project use natural gas? We do. And, uh, we use natural gas, right? Okay, so housing authority is 100% electric. Market rate is a is a blend. Okay, and uh, do, do you know did? Was that a consideration in terms of the price, or do you know what, what drove that Just, decision? you know, they're, what we have left there, those 220 units, we want to make them, you know, nice, and, and we're, you know, that's what the residents want. You know, I mean, there's, there's a, a greater preference for gas, and there's, you know, a lot of benefits to gas still. Um, ultimately, everything will be all electric, you know, no doubt, over the next five to ten years. But, um, you know, right now we're... We do a little bit of a blend. I see. Okay. Um, thank you. And actually, may I have Mr. Polanski? I have a couple questions for you. No. 
It's like musical chairs. You keep getting up and down. Yeah. <laughs> we're keeping you on your toes today. We're, we're going to hit each other at some point, and that'll be entertainment. <laughs> uh, yes. So uh, recently, uh, with the with your work on the Super 8 uh, 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 Tierra Buena project, um, you uh, we've learned a lot about you know your operation there and and about that. And with that project, uh, we learned about the coordinated entry system um, yes. to how you vet and select the people for that. Can you compare and contrast how this project would be different from that in terms of your selection and even what services are being offered on site? Certainly, and, and thank you very much, Mayor Pro Tem. Um, we will still be using the coordinated entry system for a number of the uh, units that will be permanent supportive housing. Well, if you saw that, that list, kind of laundry list of the, the folks we're likely to house, it included people that um, are currently unhoused, people living in cars, people living in shelters, in addition to sometimes people leaving their homes that they've had for a generation and, and moving in with very low income. Um, so that part will be very similar. The part that will be different is at Buena Tierra, we have 60 units, 59 of which are all permanent supportive housing, and then one resident manager's unit. So the eligibility requirements are tied to the state funding, which is the Home Key program. So these are our folks that are at risk or are currently experiencing homelessness. At Heritage Ridge, we'll have a mix. Uh, there will be units available for people who are low income, but not necessarily experiencing homelessness. They may be quadrupled up uh, to make ends meet. Um, many of the working families that we house were in situations where there were multiple households living together, and here's the opportunity for one household to be able to afford uh, a unit. So that would be the primary difference. The primary difference will be it's going to be a, a wider range of experiences uh, from the people that we'll be housing, but we will still be using the coordinated entry system just with not as restrictive a, a requirement for residency. And this really quickly, since you talked about EV stations, we will also have EV stations uh, and we will also have solar. And the tax credit program is encouraging us very strongly if we want the tax credits to be net zero. And so that's what we'll be trying to achieve. Just, just because you showed an interest on the market rate side. Great, great. Well, thank you. And we are all electric, as as uh, as Tim mentioned, uh, for great. the reasons that I, I think we all know. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, and, and with regard to the supportive services that are offered oh, on site. Thank you. I, I forgot that part. Uh, they will also be somewhat similar. Um, although we actually, because we're building from the ground up, we're going to have more room, more space to provide them at the site. As those of you know, the Buena Tierra, we're converting five of the former motel units so that we have a little bit of additional support service space in addition to their small breakfast room and the leasing office, which was really their only common area. Um, here, we're going to be having interior uh, support service space on the senior side and also on the family side. And then we have a small community center, if you saw the site plan, in front of uh, the one of the family buildings that will be used. So because in the family side, we will have children, we will have after school programs, we'll have a computer lab. Uh, we do that in, in all of our sites. That would be senior and, and family as well. Uh, where we have volunteers come in 
and help with online banking and also help kids with their, their homework. Um, we will have ESL classes, we'll have financial literacy classes, uh, um, in addition to specific case management. Now, Buena Tierra will be very heavily focused on case management because, again, all 59 units will be occupied by people all coming out of experiencing homelessness or at risk. Uh, that won't be the case at, at Heritage Ridge. So we'll have a, a focus on kind of the traditional senior get-togethers, the, the potlucks. Um, one of the things we're really planning on bringing that, that we have up at the Golden Inn and Village in the San Inez Valley, if any of you are familiar, that was our, our project partner with Rona Barrett and her foundation. We have family building right next to a senior building. And there is some mentoring that organically developed uh, where the seniors were helping kids with the reading and, and some of the homework, kind of you know entering in as, as de facto grandparents. Um, and so it, it got to where we, we built a bridge over this little creek that had separated the, the family units and the senior units so that there was that connectivity. And so that's what we're anticipating here with the, the family and the senior um, having that organic development, in addition to, as I said, you know, just a variety of different programs. Um, healthy eating, healthy cooking, um, dental hygiene. Uh, you know, there, there is a, a whole list that I'm happy to, to share that our um, resident services team has put together, um, of just a wide variety. Those are the ones that we think of now. When we, each development has its own personality. When we are housed, one of the first things we do is get all the residents together. What do you need? Here are the things we think you need, but what are the things you need? And that differs from development to development. It's, it's uh, amazing uh, how different the personalities are. Anyway, I hope that answered your question. Very good, thank you. Thank you very much. Councilmember Reyes, <clears throat> excuse me, Reyes Martin. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that actually most of the questions I had have already been asked, um, so that's great. But I do have just a couple of maybe clarification. Um, this one's for Tim. I think I saw on a slide that had your key attributes something that said home-based child care. Mm. What was that about? You picked up on that, huh? <laughs> you clicked through it real fast, but I saw it. I was hoping you wouldn't see that now. Um, yeah, so that came up um, way back in discussions with um, uh, different folks in the city and so what they're what Redtail's going to do is they're going to provide a special incentive for folks in the larger units that if they're willing to do uh, child care support then they get a reduction on their rent oh great thank you I'm yeah. glad I asked that um, and lastly you know I was really glad to hear about the um, the the work with uh, local employers um, yeah, to connect great. them I think that's so important um, and I would encourage, you know, to also include our local school districts. We've heard so much from them about their need for sure. teachers and classified staff to get connected to local housing. Um, but so thank you for that. Um, and that's really all the questions I had. Yeah, and we're already talking with the school district about that. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Well, all my questions pretty much. I've been checking them off as we've been going. Um, but I do have one clarification, um, and it's probably for staff. Uh, and it was regarding a letter that was written, uh, an email that came to us uh, about concern over easement and the right of way. And um, I think that the um, concern came up several years ago 
um, that we may be doing a bike path along Los Caneros, and um, how does that fit in with giving up this particular right-of-way? Um, who can answer that? Is, is, there, is this a problem that we're giving up a, a, an area that then we won't be able to do um, a bike path? Or I, I think we I'm may need it in the, in the future. I think we'll start with Mr. Schleich to okay. respond on that. So uh, Director Eberling came before this council, I think, in September of 2019 to answer that question for you. Um, he looked at all the capital improvements that were proposed by the city um, and made sure the right-of-way that was necessary for those capital improvements was acquired. We got some additional right-of-way from the applicant to accommodate those future um, capital improvements. With regard specifically to the bike lane, there was a couple typical sections, cross-sections, that showed how bike lanes would be uh, accommodated with that width. Um, Currently, is it a class two bike lane or a class four bike lane? They're very similar. Mm. It's on the east side of Las Canaras, and that could continue uh, with the addition of sidewalk curb and gutter if that's so desired. I would just caution you that the freeway bridge would have to be widened to accommodate. I remember those that things. now. Okay. That being said, um, you could also do uh, looked at a two way class one, which is separated. Uh, again, that would require widening of the free freeway bridge, which is not identified as a capital improvement. There's basically 15 feet of right-of-way that could be used for um, alternative transportation, bike lanes and pedestrians. So to answer your question, yes, it was looked at and considered and can be accommodated. So that doesn't seem to be a problem. Exactly. Okay, great. Um, well, I have no more questions, but I would like to open it up to the um, public. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, now I see your name, Councilmember Carrioso. It's okay. I wanted to follow up on the the uh, line of questioning that Councilmember Reyes Martin started. That I was sort of pinching myself, like, is it too good to be true? Uh, Mr. Kim, could I ask you back up for a second? So the the child care um, incentive program. So that's for the larger units. So not necessarily one bedrooms, but twos and threes. And is that only on the for-profit side, on the market rate side, or is that also, is there any kind of uh, incentive or allowance on the uh, housing authority side? Just on the market for the program I described, but I don't okay. know if John has some. Um, because of the, of the uh, funding sources that we have and the income restrictions and others, we don't have that type of program, but we do try to find uh, affordable daycare opportunities. Okay, so so just uh, some some shared experience. Actually, probably for either of you, you don't need to stay up there. Just uh, <laughs> some shared experience because I, I worked with another developer to try and and do something similar to what you're describing um, at their sites. Um, if you work with Children's Resource and Referral, for who does a lot of the the home based uh, childcare here in town and um, Women's Economic Ventures, which provides a lot of business classes and things that can help home-based childcare providers. I think you'll have a lot of success. The, a couple of observations, um, this population of providers, they're price sensitive, so depending upon the value of the incentive, you might still find them, depending on if it's an ongoing incentive or more of like a one-year one lease situation and then it goes away or whatever it is, uh, you might find that they're actually more attracted to the one bedrooms 
um, if the common area space, like the living room space, is the same in the ones as the twos. The other thing to keep an eye on for when you're in design, um, you need to have uh, two areas of exit, and just a regular window won't work. So if the sliding, so if you, let's say you have on the first floor a sliding glass uh, door to get out, as long as you can exit the property through there, you won't have any issues with state licensing. If there's a barrier such as a wall and it doesn't have a gate, they won't consider that an exit. So just something to keep an eye on for later if this goes forward. Just wanted to throw those couple points out there. Okay, I'd like to open it up to the public. We have speakers. Yes, we have six speaker slips, and if there are any members of the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, please raise your hand and I'll call on you. Um, our first public speaker in person is Rachel Condor. Good evening, Mayor and uh, City Council members. Um, this is a great discussion. I really appreciate all the intelligent questions that you're asking. So thank you for the opportunity to speak tonight. My name is Rachel Condor, and I'm a staff attorney for the Environmental Defense Center. Um, we represent five community groups, as um, Council Member Kiriako mentioned. We represent the Goodland Coalition, the uh, Sierra Club Santa Barbara Ventura Chapter, Citizens Planning Association, the Santa Barbara Audubon Society, and the Santa Barbara Urban Creeks Council. These groups advocate for good land use planning and protection of the environment, open space, creeks, birds, and other wildlife in our region. And you'll be hearing from some of our clients a little bit later on. Recognizing the need for affordable housing, since 2021, our clients have sought modifications of the project that would allow it to go forward while ensuring it complies with important policies and laws. Through our negotiations, the project now complies with city policy on creek protection with a 100-foot buffer from Los Carneros Creek. It also includes a wildlife corridor on its western edge and a rich palette of native plants throughout the site that will attract birds and pollinators while serving as a natural resource for residents of the development and visitors to the park. Late last year, we requested that the city include conditions in, a, in its approval process to make sure these important community benefits would be realized. And the conditions in the staff report, with a few minor changes we, re, we requested in our letter yesterday, reflect that request. We asked the City Council to incorporate the conditions of approval, including the funding necessary to maintain the native plant habitat in the park if you vote to approve the project. Our clients also request that the City Council reject the most active design for the park, option three, which would reduce the native plant habitat and would not be in keeping with respect for the Chumash people and the cultural resources on the site. So thank you very much for your careful consideration of these matters. Um, and my colleague Brian and I are available to answer any questions later on in your deliberations. Thank you. Thank you. Our next public speaker is Barbara Lopez. <laughs> okay. Good evening, Madam Mayor, City Council, uh, City Council, and members of the public and staff. My name is Barbara Lopez. 
I'm a council member for the Barbaranial Band of the Shumash Indians, and I'm also the chair of the Cultural Resource Management Committee. I am here to express the Barbaranial Band of Shumash Indians' strong support of the Heritage Ridge Project. Um, the BBCI met with the original developer, Mr. Tobes, and then after his passing, we have uh, been able to continue to dialogue about the park and be part of the design. We believe that the park is an important contribution to our community and will play a vital role in providing a safe, welcoming space for children, individuals, and families to come together and enjoy the outdoors. Heritage Ridge has unique features, as Kim told you. It honors the cultural history and heritage of our people. The Shumash Village is an educational feature in the play area that will place, excuse me, will be a place of wonder. It will be a space for recreation, creativity, of course, cultural exposure. The Shumash, we're still here. We're in this region. We are the descendants of the Hurmol Molik Iwash Ukuku, the ancient ones. BBCI urges you to support and invest in the Heritage Ridge Park and provide our community with this valuable resource. Now there was Linda Morallo, um, who is also a member of our tribe, but she had to leave and she will be unable to speak. But thank you so much for your time and uh, you have a good evening. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Uh, my next speaker slip was for Linda Trevino, so she had to leave. Um, our next public speaker is Brian Troutwine. Good evening, Mayor Perotti, uh, Mayor Pro Tem Richards, and council members. I'm Brian Troutwine, Senior Analyst and Watershed Program Director with the EDC. Thank you for the opportunity to testify tonight. Wildlife habitats in and around this site are very important to Galitans, including the coastal sage scrub and Los Caneros Creek. These are areas Galitans want protected. For example, coastal sage is one of the rarest habitats left in the city of Goleta. And Los Caneros Creek supports the federally threatened California red-legged frog, which is Mark Twain's uh, celebrated jumping frog of Calaveras County. This area is also significant for the Chumash, who lived in harmony with the native habitats, the plants, and the wildlife on this site for thousands of years. Affordable housing is another very important community need. EDC's clients have worked hard on this project for almost two years and strongly believe there is a real need for affordable housing. Here's the good news. We can have both affordable housing and wildlife habitats in Goleta. As a result of our input on the project, it now provides the minimum 100-foot setback from Los Caneros Creek to comply with the city's creek protection policies. The project now includes creation of over three and a half acres of coastal sage scrub and wetlands and oak woodlands to support many of the natural wildlife species that occur in the sensitive habitat on the site now. Butterflies, including the monarch and many species of birds, will be able to nest and breed and forage on this site if the native plantings are maintained. 
these are areas where the public can go for respite and to enjoy the natural beauty of our native habitats. The project landscaping now includes all local native plants in the habitat areas. These are plants native to right here in Goleta, which is important for local biodiversity and adaptations. And the project includes a wildlife corridor connecting the Los Padres Forest down to the Los Caneros wetlands just south of this site. And it does all of this without reducing the number of affordable housing units by even one. This project strikes a good balance by providing affordable housing and protecting habitats. But for all these public benefits to accrue for Goleta residents, there needs to be sufficient funding to maintain the vegetation for the life of the project. There needs to be sufficient funding to maintain that natural vegetation for all these benefits to occur for the Goleta residents. So thank you for your time tonight. Thank you. Our next public speaker is Frank, Frank Arredondo. Madam Mayor, Mayor Pro Tem, City Council members, staff, and audience. Um, first of all, I've, it's been like three years since I've been up here, so it's been a while. Um, I want to say that I do support this project. I think it's a great idea. Everything that everyone else has done, perfect. But um, I've come out of the closet to come and address this issue because, as always, I'm about saving the ancestors as well as native rights. So this is going to be fun. Uh, I'm Frank Arredondo, Native American, Chumash, listed on the Native Americans, most likely descendants list with the Heritage Commission. I'm one of a handful of people that are on that list to address the disposition of human remains when they're found. Being on that list is significant for me. It's important. It's about making sure the ancestors are looked after. I take that responsibility hugely. And in doing so, I review development projects to make sure that they are not going to impact our ancestors or violate Native rights. There are three fronts to Natives that are taking place with this project. Broken promises, bending the law, and silencing the Native. Let me explain. Preservation in perpetuity, CEQA in Phase 3, and MLD wording. In 1990, Dames and Moore summarized that the archaeological work carried out at SBA 56 um, with consultation with Nottingham Limited and United Chumash Council, they agreed that in order to protect the low-density locus, which is where this property is, they would uh, be designated as open space, which it is, fill would be added, which it is, but no buildings or excavations would take place. That's not what's happening. Excavations are proposed. That takes to the second object, a phase three data recovery. Under CEQA, mitigation measures proposed to reduce the impacts to avoidance, is avoidance, project redesign, categorizing open space, doing fill. If you can't do any of that, you come in and you do a phase three data recovery to get whatever info before it's lost. You're putting fill. There is no impact or loss to information with fill. That is bending the law right there. For what reason? The cost goes on to the client. It's not warranted. It goes back to that agreement in 1990 that mentioned it, that there would be no excavations. That you need to find the answer to. 
Second, you need to justify why you're doing a phase three. The most egregious part of it is, is we know that there are burials there. So now you're gonna dig up ancestors? There are over a thousand artifacts in the repository. You need more data? Deal with the stuff that is there. Last thing, I've said it over and over, the MLD and the landowner are the only two people that should be worded on your <coughs> conditions. Not city council, not archeologists or city approved. I submitted wording in my comment letter that says just the MLD and the landowner. Those three things are important. Thank you. Thank you. Our final public speaker in person is Dustin Hoysetz. Hello, Mayor Perotti and council members. Good to see you. My name is Dustin Hoyseth. I'm the public policy manager with the Santa Barbara South Coast Chamber of Commerce, representing businesses from Goleta to Carpinteria. I'm here tonight to express the chamber's support for the Heritage Ridge project. Our local businesses have consistently raised the lack of housing options for their employees as a top barrier to business vitality in the region. As a result, the chamber has long focused on supporting projects that make sense for our local communities while meeting the need for various housing types and options. The Chamber has supported the Heritage Ridge project for some time and throughout its various stages in this process. This morning, the Chamber released The Road Home, a living document that discusses the current state of our region's housing crisis and proposed solutions from a local business community perspective. The Heritage Ridge project was included in a list of projects and sites, which the Chamber believes are critical pieces to addressing the varied housing needs of Goleta and the South Coast region. Heritage Ridge will play an important part in increasing our local rental housing supply, and the Chamber is delighted to see the project before Council for final approval tonight. This project has been under review since 2014, and the hard work that has been put into building community partnerships throughout this long process is clearly reflected in the project's final design and plans. Please move forward with this important local housing project by certifying the final environmental impact report and improving the Heritage Ridge project. Thank you all for your time and for supporting local housing. Thank you. We have nine hands raised on the Zoom webinar, and if any other members of the Zoom webinar wish to speak, please raise your hand, we'll call on you. Our first speaker on the Zoom webinar is Manley McNinch. If you would please accept the prompts that are on your screen now. Okay, uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Great, thank you. Uh, thank you for your time tonight and um, all the information on the project. Uh, be, being a resident of Santa Barbara County and living in the area, you know, there's definitely a need for um, affordable, low-income housing. And you know, being that there's such a need for it, a lot of the reasons why we have it is there's not a lot of great-paying jobs around, and we'd like to you know, see these this project being built with local skilled and trained workers that make a good fair wage and can afford to rent and buy houses in this county. Um, you know, it's important to get men, women of all walks of life to where they can afford to rent, and this housing project can do that, and we can facilitate a lot of workers making a good living by you know, putting the uh, local hire clause into the project and help stimulate the local economy, keep the tax dollars local, and truly be a, a good partnership to see, you know, see the 
skilled and trained workers that have gone to apprenticeships, you know, credit apprenticeships in the area to be able to work where they live instead of having to travel to places like LA and stuff to be able to work and to make a decent wage. So hopefully we can get some kind of a local hire or skilled train, you know, requirement put into the project and make it where our, our local workforces can work at home. Thank you. Thank you. <coughs> our next public speaker is Jonathan Duran. If you would please accept the prompts on your screen. Hello, can everyone hear me? Yes, yes we can. Hello, my name is uh, Jonathan Duran. I'm a representative with the Southwest Mountain State Regional Council of Carpenters, Local 805. Um, reaching out today on this project, um, not for or against it, but I just highly encourage um, as projects like this come across the city to be able to have uh, some language for skilled and trained workforce, opportunities for second chance individuals, women, veterans. Um, that's one of the big things that projects like this and ones to come in the near future will help uh, put people close to work, close to home, close to, to be able to work in their own backyard. And then at the end of the day, that money will go right back into the economy. Um, again, it's just great opportunities for uh, partnering with developers and uh, local contractors to be able to provide these uh, good paying jobs to employ skilled, trained tradesmen and women in the industry, but also to have opportunities for the next generation of future tradesmen and for us as carpenters to be able to have an opportunity to provide for their families, work close to home and be a part of a apprenticeship accredited program. So um, again, I'm very uh, uh, highly encouraged the city council to look into some type of skilled and trained workforce, local hire clause, as these developments happen throughout the city. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next speaker is Lori Gaskin. If you would please accept the prompts that are on your screen. Good evening. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak to you. I represent Santa Barbara Audubon Society, and we are a chapter of the National Audubon Society. We have approximately 1,100 members in the Santa Barbara and Goleta area. Our mission is to protect area bird life and habitat. In framing my comments, it is important to note that the Heritage Ridge Project encompasses an environmentally significant piece of property. It is significant for four main reasons. Number one, the property is adjacent to the Goleta Coast important birding area. This is a national Audubon designation used to identify essential sites that provide habitat for rare threatened or endangered birds or exceptionally large congregations of birds. Secondly, the property is adjacent to a streamside protection area as defined in the city's regulations. Third, the property encompasses environmentally sensitive habitat areas based upon the native vegetation present. And fourth, the property serves as an open space wildlife connector from Lake Los Caneros to the Goleta Slough complex, particularly for birds. Indeed, Goleta's coastal plain, its treasured open spaces and its riparian corridors provide the ecological richness essential to birds and essential to the quality of life of city residents 
and visitors alike. For these reasons, and because our members, member, many of whom reside in Goleta, value these issues, Santa Barbara Audubon joined with our community partners to ensure that our local creeks, native vegetation, and treasured open spaces will be protected now and into the future within the framework of the city's policies and regulations. Nearly two years of discussions, meetings, negotiations have transpired between our coalition of community partners, the developer, and the city to ensure creeks are protected and native plant habitat is reestablished, all without the loss of a single unit of either the market rate or affordable housing. Santa Barbara Audubon urges the city to recognize the significance of this project from the following perspectives. Number one, local creeks are protected. Number two, the protection of environmentally sensitive habitat for generations to come. Number three, the preservation of one of the community's key values, open space. Number four, the coalition stance that passive use of the park and open space is more appropriately aligned with this setting. And number five, the integration of proper planning into city projects ensures compliance with local laws and policies. I thank you for the opportunity again to comment. And given the many priorities facing the city and you as elected officials, Santa Barbara Audubon, thank you for upholding the role you have as environmental stewards. Thank you. Thank you. Our next public speaker is Mary O'Gorman. If you'd please accept the prompts on your screen. <coughs> Good evening. I'm Mary O'Gorman representing Citizens Planning Association, also known as CPA. CPA has for decades participated in the development of ordinances, processes and policies advocating for careful community planning and environmental protection throughout Santa Barbara County. So tonight I'm pleased to speak on behalf of CPA in support of the Heritage Ridge Project. Um, it's been an honor for the past almost 18 months to be part of this coalition represented and led by EDC and all who have worked collaboratively with one another with the developer and city staff to ensure that this project provides a significant amount of much needed low and very low income senior and family housing while also respecting and following the city's general plan and resource protection policies. As stated by others in more detail already, uh, the, this agreement will achieve many things, perhaps most significant, it will protect the creek with a hundred foot required creek buffer, protect the wildlife corridor, create new bird and wildlife habitat and local native plantings. This just shows that housing developments can go forward by meeting legal requirements and policies and can be designed in a way that honors community standards and environmental resources while providing much needed affordable housing. And CPA is happy to support this project tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Our next public speaker is Hilda Maldonado. If you would please accept the prompts on your screen. Good evening, Madam Mayor and Council Members. I want to start off by thanking you for your service and support for our residents. I am the proud Superintendent of Santa Barbara Unified, 
And I am here on behalf of the Coalition of Local School Districts and Labor Partners, our unions. By now, you have received our advocacy letter for more affordable housing in our community. I urge you to listen to the needs of our workforce in the education space. Having high quality teachers and staff in every school is needed for us to provide an excellent education. In order to do so, we have a moral obligation to provide affordable housing, adequate pay and health benefits, and quality of life to all our employees. Our educators and staff are having to move farther and farther away to afford to teach our students in our community. I have learned that people who work in education are passionate, caring people who do this work, not for the money, but for the children. There aren't many careers where people do it for the sake of others, but rather in the interest of improving the lives of children and families. Many of you are our current parents or have been parents to the children we collectively serve from preschool to graduation and beyond. Having high quality teachers and staff in every school is much needed in order for us to provide this promise of an excellent public education. You are in a unique opportunity to encourage developers to not just think of the bottom line, but to consider creating a variety of affordability levels for their housing projects, which is evident in tonight's presentation. Thank you for doing the right thing and thinking about our workers and doing everything in your power to make on the South Coast possible for everyone. Our teachers and staff look after our children Let's do our part to look after them. Thank you and good evening. Thank you. Our next public speaker is Jason Chapman. If you would please accept the prompts on your screen. Hello, uh, this is Jason Chapman. Uh, I am speaking in my personal capacity and as a resident of Goleta. Uh, I would first like to say that uh, I think it's really great that this project will result in people of different uh, income levels being neighbors. The evidence shows uh, again and again <laughs> that fact alone results, often results in better outcomes for especially children uh, in those families that need a little extra help and that those children can benefit from the stability and resources that, that those who are more fortunate uh, benefit from. So uh, I really uh, appreciate that. Um, and I also want to say that I think it's great that when faced with uh, making room for the creek buffer, um, it gave up a few parking spots rather than, say, some of the housing units. Um, I think that, that this is a good compromise, especially when uh, paired with things that help reduce the need to drive uh, for those who want to or cannot afford a car. Um, related to that, uh, I have a couple of recommendations, uh, if, if possible. Um, one of them is with the rise of e-bikes. Uh, I recommend that developers consider se secure bike storage if they don't already have that in the site plans. Um, e-bikes are becoming really popular uh, and often an alternative to driving, um, but they are a little more expensive. And so folks may want a little more of a secure place to put them. Uh, and that would free up some space in you know, apartments. Um, finally, uh, on the Calle Corral side of the project, uh, I notice on 
uh, one of the maps that there is uh, I'm mentioning about denying access from Calle Corral. Um, I really recommend, if it's not already part of the plan, uh, to put a pedestrian access point, maybe somewhere near uh, Los Carneros in Calle Corral, uh, if possible. Um, just that, you know, people living in maybe that corner or in the back of the development have to go all the way through the, you know, vehicle entrance on the front and back around to go to, uh, say, across Los Paneros to walk to one of the workplaces uh, in the industrial park. Um, on the map, it looks small, but on the pedestrian scale, that extra five minutes uh, may add to the decision whether somebody walks or drives. Um, and it could be a really small thing to do that would make it really convenient and help take some of the pressure uh, off of the streets, off uh, traffic and parking spots. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Our next public speaker is Catherine Mullen. If you would please accept the prompts on your screen. Hi, good evening. My name is Catherine Mullen. I'm representing Sierra Club Santa Barbara Group which is within the Santa Barbara Ventura chapter. This project has the potential to benefit the community fully. And by fully, we mean both people and the environment. This project as it is now designed, and I emphasize now, will provide <coughs> protection for Los Caneros Creek through the adherence to the 100 foot setback. Copious native plantings that will showcase how special our coastal biome is. Much needed housing for the citizens of Goleta, including ones designated as affordable. This housing project will encompass a beautiful park for the benefit of all Goletans who value open space. Goleta is called the Goodland for a reason. Most importantly, the funding for the park maintenance that is being considered will ensure the legacy of this habitat and community for both people and nature alike. It is important to make sure that there is enough resources to help the new plants and allow the park to thrive for the benefit for the life of the project. Sierra Club values the environment and we believe it is possible to house people without straw or excessive habitat de <clears throat> degradation. This project can showcase that. Thank you. Thank you. Our next public speaker is Robert L. Skinner. If you would please accept the prompts on your screen. Good evening, Mayor Perotti, members of the council, members of the public. Thank you for the opportunity to briefly make comments. I am the CEO of the Tobes Group, and I also have the uh, good fortune of being Michael Tobe's nephew. Um, this was an important project for him. Uh, he always felt that this was an important housing component for uh, the community. And I believe, while I don't know what he might have agreed to do or not do as the course of this development went on, I do know that his estate made um, great interest in finding the right partner. And I can say with um, without equivocation that our partners um, at Redtail have been terrific to work with. Uh, they've been incredibly responsive to the needs of the community. It's been a real pleasure working with them. And I, I can wholeheartedly say that uh, if 
if, if Mike was still around, he'd be very proud of what has been accomplished and very pleased to see this move forward. And so for all that, I would just like to say thank you for all the hard work, uh, both city staff uh, and uh, parties to bring this to fruition. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Eddie Harris. If you would please accept the prompts on your screen. Good evening, Mayor Brody and members of the City Council. My name is Eddie Harris. I'm speaking on behalf of the Santa Barbara Urban Creeks Council, a member group of the coalition that formed in response to the need for protection of Los Caneros Creek and reestablishment of quality habitat for wildlife. The Urban Creeks Council has protected and restored Galitas Creeks for over 33 years. First to mention for me is that we want to see that native plants in the park have proper care and maintenance for the life of the project. Staff has shown that a commitment of $250,000 will provide endowment that will generate funds for the life of the project. We ask that you please make sure that that funding will be provided. Among things that we like about the project is that the stream side protection area is respected. Of great importance also are the city's laws and policies on streamside protection. And those city ordinance have also been respected, and we like that. Another benefit that UCC is glad to see is that the project also provides habitat that will be beneficial for wildlife moving through an already fragmented corridor. It is not perfect. But the result of negotiations between the coalition and developers have brought much improved, a much improved project before you tonight. We were able to move buildings, not eliminate them from the plan. We were able to protect the SBA. We were able to restore some habitat on land that was years ago, thriving wildland and wetlands on the border of a great Goleta Slough. The result of the negotiations with the heritage owners is progress. It shows that people can meet and come to agreement. Housing and good land stewardship can result on the same piece of land. For that, I want to thank EDC for leadership, expertise, and hard work. And I also want to thank the leadership of experts within the coalition and their willingness to keep negotiating. You are already aware, but I want to mention that UCC and the coalition are opposed to option three, the most active park design with basketball and disc targets that would seriously counter effect the intent of maintaining native habitat for wildlife. And in closing, I want to thank you for considering my and UCC's and our coalition's interest in helping Goleta with housing goals while protecting the creek and enhancing the habitat for wildlife. Thank you. Thank you. Our next public speaker is George Reyes. If you would please accept the prompts on your screen. My name is George Reyes and I'm representing the Goodland Coalition, one of the five organizations that have signed on to the settlement agreement with the proponent of this project. 
First, I support the points already made by Rachel Condor of EDC, as well as the other remarks made by the other four organize, organizations EDC represents in this matter. The Goodland Coalition is in solidarity, in solidarity with these other four organizations signing this agreement with the goal of protecting Goleta, Goleta's environment. I wanna point out, however, that these goals are not only the goals of our respective organizations and our hundreds of members, we also are standing up for all the similar goals in Goleta's general plan, which formally embodies the goals of all Goleta residents. The Goodland Coalition's informal motto can be summed up in this way. We worked hard on creating Goleta's general plan. Why not use it? Our general plan requires a minimum of 100 feet set back from creeks, as you know. And our agreement, uh, with our agreement, the revised plan and the conditions of approval on the staff report achieve that goal. Our general plan protects critters native to Goleta with adequate wildlife corridors. This agreement achieves that goal. Our general plan protects Goleta's native biodiversity and sensitive habitats, and this agreement achieves that goal as long as you reject option three uh, for more active recreation in the park. As you take action today, the Goodland Coalition asks you to join us in reaffirming our adherence, not just to our goals, but to Goleta's general plan itself by declaring your support for the conditions of approval. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Our next public speaker is Patricia Morel. If you would please accept the prompts on your screen. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Well, I'm for the project. I support that. I'm Patricia Morello. I'm also a council member of BBCI. I have been reading upon this and um, I am happy that this project is going through. I really love my culture and I love that the community wants to learn more about my ancestors. I also am a descendant from that village. So I really hope and pray that when this all goes through, that my ancestors are protected and that we have respect because that really matters to me. My culture means a lot to me. And I really hope people can respect that. And this is coming from a native descendant. So I just want to let you know that I am happy with it and everything sounds good, but please, respect our area. Thank you. Thank you. Our next public speaker is Scott Zimmerman. If you would please accept the prompts on your screen. Uh, yes, good evening. Um, Scott Zimmerman, a representative with the Southwest Mountain States Regional Um, say, uh, still there? Yes, yes, we hear you now. Huh, interesting. All right. Uh, I'm Scott. My name is Scott Zimmerman, the Southwest Regional, Southwest Mountain States Regional Council of Carpenters out of the uh, 805 area. Uh, reside within Santa Barbara County, uh, also within the area. Um, everything, it's a good project. 
you know, the uh, the presentation, just all the hard work that's been done by uh, the developer, the housing authorities involvement here, the city. Uh, it's, it's been a, a work in progress, obviously, for, for many years. Uh, it's, it's changed a little bit. Um, you know, our big thing we look forward to is seeing the ability to put local people to work, which is one of the things mentioned when the project is said and done. Um, but we look for that on, on the front end of it with the the actual construction of it um, and having some kind of, uh, whether it be agreement or um, ordinance in there to enact a, a local hire, use local apprentices, keep people engaged in the community uh, throughout the process. Uh, something to look back on, you know, I've been able to put my hands to use on multiple projects in the area and it's nice to be able to go back and see, like, you know, actually I built that show my kids that, you know, we passed by, put that building up, it's gonna stand for, for years to come, you know, when you're older, when you have kids and continue that legacy. Uh, it's a generational, it's a generational thing that we look forward to. Uh, so with that, um, appreciate your time tonight. Uh, it's, it's been a good meeting and we'll get, look forward to this uh, as it continues on and progresses through. Thank you. Thank you. I see one more hand raised on the Zoom webinar. Our next speaker is Anthony Ventura. If you would please accept the prompts on your screen. Good evening, Ma Madam Mayor, City Council members, and residents of Goleta. My name is Anthony Ventura. I'm a member of Carpenters Local 805 with members and their families in Goleta, Santa Barbara, and countywide. I support housing, and we support the affordable housing with this development. Through the Housing Authority, this is a great opportunity for people who would not otherwise have it. We come here tonight speaking for the community and construction industry and its workers. We would like to see a local hire on this project so the jobs and revenue stays right here in the community. One thing that a recent study that was recently done, it said half of construction workers live at or below the poverty line. Our goal can't just be to build housing, but we must lift people out of poverty. We just don't want to <clears throat> build just affordable housing. We just don't want is to build affordable housing projects that builds 15 units of affordable housing, but has 30 or more workers being paid poverty level wages. Then you actually end up with more people in poverty needing affordable housing than the housing units produced. It's one step forward, two steps back. I think this is a great development with the 104 units being affordable housing and it's much needed in Goleta and countywide. And with that, I look forward to working uh, and following this project as it moves through the process. Thank you and have a good evening. Thank you. That was our last speaker on the Zoom webinar. Okay. If there are any others who wish to speak, please raise your hand. I do not see any more public speakers at this time. Thank you. Um, back to staff for any questions. Um, any questions that came up that you might want to. No. Anything that came up during the public comment? Uh, I don't. I don't. I didn't see any that needed okay. a response to unless the city attorney's. Felt there was anything. 
I don't think so, Madam Mayor, but we're happy to answer questions. Okay, great. Back to Council. Ca Councilmember Cariaco? No? Okay. Councilmember Kalkin? I just thought it would be helpful to uh, reiterate or describe the contributions that the city has made towards this project. We put in, some of it was in the applicant's uh, slides, but just as a, uh, an indication of how much we're in, I think it's, it's impressive that, uh, and I don't say this from a critical standpoint, but, but to show our commitment to this goal. So how much? Oh, <laughs> okay, sorry, I didn't realize there was a question there. Um, in terms of for the affordable housing project, we are proposing, we're offering a $1 million forgivable loan that would come out of our um, housing in lieu affordability trust fund. I'm sure there's a better name. A full, that you can quite probably get the correct name, but you know which account that is. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think. What else? Um, I, I can't. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, the waiver of fees. Thank you. Yes. Um, the affordable housing component um, does have a waiver of fees, and that is to the tune of over $3 million. So collectively, we have, if you include the uh, loan, that is going to be, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, For forgiven, forgive plus the, the forgiveness of fees, it's about $4 million? Yes. Is that right? And would we also count Quimby? Is that part of our contribution? That is part of the, um, how the fees that would be waived for the um, lots one and two, the affordable component, that does include the Quimby fees for their 104 units. Okay, so we're in, so our contribution thus far is so associated with fees and so forth is about $4 million. Got okay, yeah. uh, and uh, let me see if I had any others that I wanted to ask now. As far as questions go, I think that's uh, that's it at the moment. Thank you. Mayor Pertem Richards. Thank you. Uh, yeah, well, I wanted to uh, go back to the park and, and just spend a little more time on that because, you know, one of the concerns that I have is how it will be experienced from the public, how it will uh, be experienced from the neighborhood. Uh, you know, it, it, uh, so looking at it as a public park, uh, it will be surrounded on three sides, at least, by buildings uh, in this complex. And so um, I guess I just want to make sure that that it's well um, signed, you know, and, and I guess I wanted to find out, is there a, is there a plan to put, like, a monument sign um, at uh, from the road or, or something indicating that, you know, it is a public park and that it's not just uh, appearing to be uh, an amenity or something that looks like it's just part of the surrounding complex. So I don't know if that's uh, something I, that's I, that specific in the plan. Um, I, I, I think I'll, I'll try to answer the question, and I'm sure that uh, Mr. Thompson would uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't, we're not there yet. I mean, this will become a city park. So I think how, what we name it as a city, what, um, you know, what type of signage um, we have for the park will all be within um, probably, well, I guess the Parks Commission first and then to you all um, to make that decision. So, um, you know, once the property becomes the city, you know, we, we can um, sign it how we sign other parks. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah. 
that, that answers my question. So I think I'm good with that. So I don't have anything more. Councilmember Katzen. Yeah, just with respect to uh, Council or Mayor Pro Tem Richard's comment or question, you know, it, in many ways, this is a unique park for the city. It seems like it's one where we have a theme to the park, an identity, whereas usually we have a collection of different recreational opportunities. But this one, we have something, it's distinctive, that it, it is a park dedicated towards uh, the Chumash in terms of the environment, the heritage, educational. And from that standpoint, it seems like it's going to have a real, it would be something that will attract people from the area and will want to. I mean, it is, I think it's really one of the features of this uh, project that's very exciting, that we'll have something educational, something that is, um, that offers an opportunity to, to reflect the, the heritage of the area. And so, you know, hopefully there's a Chumash name for it. And, uh, but anyway, that's, I just thought it occurred to me. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Thompson, <laughs> I have a few questions for you, um, mainly about the um, plantings um, and getting them established. And if we are to take over the park um, quickly, I mean, the plantings will be planted, I imagine, and then we take over the park. Um, are we equipped? Um, um, I know there'll be funding is proposed to be set aside to always maintain the park. Um, can you give me any thoughts on um, the maintenance uh, moving forward? And I I've always heard, uh, I'm not um, uh, a gardener per se, but I I've heard that you know sometimes certain plants um, that are native to the area, but they take a while to get established, and you keep trying, but once they're established, they really take off. Can you make any comments on, on the upkeep and the maintenance of the park? Sure, Madam Mayor. So there's generally two types of plantings at the park. There's the formal, traditional landscape that's going in around the built environment, and then there's turf, and then there's the native habitat, which is oftentimes the most challenging part of uh, installing a landscape. Within the native landscapes, there's oak woodland, coastal sage scrub. I believe there's some element of native grassland. All of those have their challenges uh, based on the, the types of plants that grow there. Oaks obviously take a long time to grow. Um, within the grassland, there's uh, higher weed pressure. So um, they're very small plants. You have to get in and do hand weeding. Um, within all of those different types of plant communities, there are techniques that have been developed by practitioners that do habitat restoration to succeed. And um, it's not something new to the city in terms of the capabilities that we have within our, our uh, wheelhouse within the Parks Maintenance Division. Um, that's not to say that it won't be challenging. It, it will be challenging, but I think we're up to the task. And then the developer has a responsibility. Uh, there's an initial 90-day maintenance period there. And uh, we'll be working closely with them if the project's approved uh, during that maintenance time. Thank you for that. Um, Councilmember Kasson? 
I'm not sure if this is for deliberation or now, but I was going to comment on some of the errata questions and so forth. Oh, is that, okay. Can you say that's we now have no or more questions on the floor. Or deliberation? I guess. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I guess so. Um, if we're going to go, if are there any more questions, first of all, before we go into deliberation? I'm not seeing any. Um, then I'm going to close the public testimony portion and then entertain um, deliberation. Okay. I guess my reaction to the, some of the things that were raised in deliberation, that uh, the 47B item that was there about building the park and allowing the 90-day period to be um, held off before public admittance, had staff supported that idea? And I'm, I'm certainly comfortable on making sure, to go to the questions you were just asking, actually, mm -hmm. to make sure that it is uh, a time enough to establish the, uh, the vegetation. And I suspect the various environmental groups that testified here would also be enthusiastic about that. Um, as 50B was the one where the, um, the parking question. And I guess I, I was somewhat sympathetic to the idea that the applicant can't control the outcome. They don't have the ability to, um, to make something happen. And staff seemed comfortable enough uh, with allowing that to go to be, I guess, stricken. Uh, and it also struck me, I was going to ask about this, it also struck me, we do have some measures built in in terms of the holding on to Quimby fees in case something isn't developed. Is that? Uh, that is guess, correct. Yeah, so I guess I'd be comfortable <coughs> with that being stricken. Uh, but finally, with the vesting map number 17, it seemed like there was the question was, if I understood right, it wasn't the matter of whether there's a, a cap for the funding, that that cap is fixed, 3.1. It's a question of what are the allowable costs that are going to be um, included under that cap. And there was some distinct, some dispute as far as which things would be appropriate and which wouldn't be. Uh, and so striking that would only add to the confusion, it seems to me. So I would be uh, supportive of keeping it as staff has recommended to allow us to have some sort of ability to um, adjudicate the, the question of what are allowable costs and what are not. And uh, finally, I would support this, the um, excluding option three and not going with that for the park design uh, and going with, I think two is fine. Um, also, if others really liked one, uh, that's fine. Uh, but, it, but so Two had the, was essentially the same, I guess, as one, except it had some uh, exercise equipment along the path. And uh, that might be nice. It is certainly makes it more, uh, more of a, of a active recreation as is required uh, for a neighborhood park. So those are my thoughts. That's Member Kiriako. It's going to be the shortest deliberation that I've ever had. I agree with everything Councilmember Kasdan said. <laughs> Councilmember Reyes Martin. I'm trying to make it even shorter. I'll do ditto. <laughs> Mayor Pro Tem Richards. Uh, yeah, well, ditto 
as well. Uh, I, I, I would say that I, I have a preference for option two for the park as opposed to option one. Uh, that was the one that was uh, supported by the Planning Commission, and it's the one uh, that has the exercise station, so I, I think that would be good. Uh, one other question that I had is um, I, I know with regard to the, the fund to get the native plants established, uh, the, the applicant had agreed to put in 125000 um, and then was the city being asked to do that, or is that part of this plan, or is that something that we have to discuss and decide on tonight? Mayor Prodi and Council Member uh, Richards, yes, the city is being requested to add, uh, add $125,000, and that is written into Condition 50J um, with that line, with um so that the fund is $250,000. Okay, so that's not something that we need to add. It's already in the, the, the documents. Okay. Correct. All right. Okay. That's ditto, 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 ditto. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I agree with um, my colleagues, and um, um, I will have some comments um, when we go to comments. Councilmember Caraco. Okay. I would start. love to start comments if we're there. Um, Madam Mayor, I don't, I don't want to mess with the I'm order of everything. Yeah, um, you may yeah. want to give the opportunity to the applicant to just, because oh. you are making changes to the conditions to briefly respond to those okay. changes. If the applicant would like to have any response to any of the questions or have any closing remarks, or it sounds like it's all going well. <laughs> yes, I very much support the project. <laughs> um, but I guess my only comment, yeah, we appreciate the public comments. And um, so just the one thing that I know is very important is to get a little bit of relief. So if it's not on 17, then maybe it's on 43, which is the storm drain improvement, which is really a public, we felt like it's a city responsibility and we offered to do it. But um, so just if you're talking 17 and going to kind of leaning toward supporting staff and not reimbursing for those costs, which are like 450,000. The storm drain is about 100, 125, most likely. So what we would ask is that we get, re we'll do the repairs and everything, but that we get reimbursed for it. It's on city property. I, I'd be inclined to be supportive of that. I think, I think we've gotten a lot of concessions from this developer on the affordability on the size, bulk, and scale, the redesigns, I, I think, I think that would be a good faith gesture. Okay, Councilman Kessler. Well, I, I guess I'd like to hear from staff before we. Uh, what does uh, I don't. Where do they come out on that? What's appropriate? Oh, I think, oh, uh, Mayor Prodi, I think I would like to turn that over to uh, Public Works Representative Mark Schleich. Sure. Hi, this is Mark Schleich, and I have no budget authority for the department. <laughs> um, I, yeah, this is a policy call on your behalf. Um, clearly, it's a budgetary decision for the Public Works Department, and um, I don't know the budget all that well to, to comment one way or the other. Uh, I would probably ask to see a, a more detailed estimate of the cost of, of the 125000 before we said 125 but a little bit more detail to it. Let me ask you this. Is this, um, I mean, 
the applicant is proposing this as something that is not inherently appropriate for the private developer and is more of a public or a city cost. Is that consistent with your view, that this is sort of pushing the envelope on what would be a, uh, you know, for us to pay? Is it more ambiguous, at least? Uh, from my perspective, I do find it a bit ambiguous. I think regardless, it should be repaired. Um, it, it definitely needs repair. <coughs> Are you saying? Are you saying you find merit in the argument that the uh, developer is making, as far as that being one that we would pick up? Uh, again, I will. I, I'm going to call that. That that's. That's our call. I it's your call. That. But is there in the argument that that be a a publicly, a public cost as opposed to the private developer's cost? Do you find merit in the argument that that be? In the argument. Um, that would be made is it's a drainage that, that conveys public water from a public street. So yes, that's the argument that the applicant's making and, and I would concur with their point of view on that. Mr. Inhoff, uh, like with students, they don't make eye contact to avoid uh, getting uh, you know, called upon, but, uh, but uh, nonetheless. Mayor and Council Member Kazan, I was carefully noting my colleagues' uh, comments there, and I, I think that I, I would agree it's a, it's a, a decision at the discretion of Council, um, but I, I take the point that um, it, is a, it is a drainage feature that is needed um, I guess, if I understand um, Mr. Schleich correctly, irrespective of the project, is that correct? Okay. And, and one suggestion I would have, um, because Mr. Schleich made a very good point that he'd like to see a more detailed estimate of cost, that perhaps if the council is inclined to grant this as a concession, um, as uh, Councilmember Kiriaka was inclined to, that we place a cap um, that we say up to 125K if that's the council's, again, uh, desire. Our, is council, excuse me, is our council prepared to be able to incorporate that into the agreement? Is that uh, something like that? We're actually trying to find the condition number. Does anyone have it? Yes, Maybe sorry, please. I was trying to do it subtly. Um, it's, <laughs> it, that, it, we don't have a specific cost listed, but the condition to require the improvement of that is condition 43F little one, and that is in the errata. Oh. Sure. It, it 43F little, little one. It says submit public work, submit public improvement plans for review and approval by the public works director or designee for the work to be done on Los, Los Caneros as follows, and I should add the word road in there. Um, I, construction of the drainage inlet and storm drain to connect to existing drainage inlet at the intersection of Los Caneros Road and Cali Coral, or as approved by the public works director. May I add one thing? Yes, um, please. Totally get the desire to cap it. Um, I'd probably ask the same thing if I was in your shoes, but um, with all due respect, none of our costs are capped on anything else, including the capping of the RKO and stuff. And I think the 125 is an estimate we came up with. If we're getting reimbursed, then that'll probably have to be prevailing wage. So it may go up some, but it's not a massive improvement. So if, 
if you could support just you know the whatever the cost is you know it's mm -hmm. covered it's not we don't anticipate it being and i don't think mark would anticipate it being like going from 125 to 300 or something it's 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 not that big of a repair thank you is is there any way i mean i i i want to move this uh, i will say i want to move this uh, project forward but is there any way would this we are i i have a problem making decisions on the fly when we don't have all the information that we really need. Um, is there any way we can move this forward and... With the cap. That does... Would that, that do it? Yeah, then, then we're not at can uncertainty. Can you help me out on this one? Uh, Madam Mayor, yeah, I think that the... I understand your concern, um, and I think that the, a cap is... An, appropriate sort of middle ground to okay. both give the applicant what they're requesting and alleviate council's concerns um, about not having all the information as to the, the total amount. Okay. Okay. I, I'd be comfortable capping it and if we're if we're cons if their concern is that it might be more, end up being more than the 125 or whatever the number was, I'm comfortable with a slightly larger cap given that they have made some significant concessions um, I, you know I don't want to go crazy on the fly on the dais here but I mean maybe it's 150 or 200 just you know something reasonably some reasonable number let's not just make up numbers I mean they estimated 125 is the amount and that seems like a reasonable amount if without just tossing around numbers with no foundation I'll support whatever the will of the council is I'm not gonna I'm not going to go to the wall on this, but okay. you know, I, th I thought it was a reasonable request to, to try and mitigate some of the other mitigation that they are paying for. Mm -hmm. And we're also paying for quite a bit as well. So um, I'm fine with a cap of 125 to be able to move this forward. Okay. Yes. Um, if you are interested, I trying to sketch out some language quickly here and I'm guessing I'm gonna look at <coughs> Mr. Schleich to help me where I get this if I get the language wrong um, if you're interested we could add at the end of F1 that the applicant will construct the drainage inlet um, and the city will reimburse the applicant up to $125,000 and and any costs over that will be at the responsibility of the applicant or the permittee. Okay, good, Ms. Garibaldi, that works. Yeah, Madam Mayor, I also drafted language oh. that sounded very similar to Ms. Prossi's. I would just say to be reimbursed of actual costs up to amount not to exceed, and then whatever that number is. Okay, all right. Sounds, <laughs> <illegal>. <laughs> Sounds very legal. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm happy to start. With comments, yeah, mm -hmm. deliberation comments. So let me let me begin with some deliberating comments. Um, and let me find my place because we've moved around a little bit. Um, so I, I want to begin by by thanking our, our staff who have spent literally years working tirelessly uh, to get us to this point. Um, I also want to thank uh, Red Tail, uh, Tim Kim, uh, the Tobes Group, and the Tobes Foundation. Um, I'm proud to support this project um, because it prioritizes people and planet over profit. 
I hope that other developers follow the example being set here because I'm sure there will also be a fair amount of profit. But I do have to call out $7 million in land value, $70 million in finished affordable housing value. Um, that's just incredible. Um, for people, because I mentioned people earlier, we're setting aside 104 units, including plans for 70 very low-income units and 34 low-income units. This would have mean achieving essentially 19% of our RENA goals for very low-income housing just between this project and Buena Tierra, the former Super 8 site. Before we even have a certified housing element, we'll be a fifth of the way there in a very difficult to, to accomplish category. Some of the hardest housing to achieve and to provide for residents in this community. Uh, this project provides housing for seniors and other vulnerable populations, um, while also providing hundreds of market rate housing units for our critical workforce uh, that serves the entire region. Uh, to the educators and teachers that have been writing letters and giving public testimony lately, uh, including tonight, uh, whether they work in Goleta schools or Montecito schools or Santa Barbara schools or Summerland schools, please know that here tonight, right now, Goleta is stepping up again to meet our regional housing needs and to meet our regional crisis head on. And I would urge you to contact the Board of Supervisors and tell them that you want some more housing close to where you work as well. For Planet, there are environmental protections for creeks and environmentally sensitive habitat areas. The project <laughs> is sited close to jobs and along a major transportation corridor adjacent to transit. This project will help reduce vehicle miles traveled because of its proximity to jobs, services like childcare, some of which perhaps are gonna be provided on site, and shopping for our most basic needs. If we have a significant rain event, we can be assured we have taken significant steps to site this project away from the creek, which will benefit public safety as well as our environment. For those who say you can either support housing or protect the environment, that is a false choice, and I would submit this project as evidence of that. This project requires real protections to ensure the, the affordable of uh, affordability of housing. It's deed restricted. The housing authority must acquire the site. The housing authority will provide the affordable housing, just like they are doing elsewhere in Goleta, because that's what they do. The most recent version of this project was submitted to the city of Goleta in 2019. Um, but its roots go back deeper, and I think given all the community conversation about housing that's happening right now, it's useful to briefly look back so that we can more effectively move forward. This project, has, as has been mentioned tonight, uh, had its roots in the Willow Springs development, a three-phase project which began when Goleta was not yet an incorporated city, but an unincorporated area whose land use was largely governed by the Eastern Goleta Valley Community Plan. This plan, adopted in 1993, function in many ways like a programmatic EIR and a general plan for the entire Goleta Valley planning area, which included what is now our city. This project tonight is the final phase of Willow Springs. When the 93 plan began, the project area we were looking at today was part of what was called Los Carneros Community Parcel Number 4, a 48-acre parcel that had 30 identified developable acres. That area was zoned C2, for general commercial and light industry. It was being considered for things like a future regional transit or train station. 
In fact, the plan specifically noted the attractiveness of the site for retail, office, and hotel uses, but noted that there was an area of the parcel that should be preserved as open space because of the existence of archeological resources and wetlands. I bring this up because currently there is some local controversy about how housing should be planned and developed here in our county. Think about what it would have meant to this area if instead of housing, we had built a hotel or retail to serve all of the office parks that are already along this corridor. If there had not been a community conversation back then about the need to address our local and regional housing needs way back in the 80s and 90s, we might not even be here tonight. If there had not been a community conversation, we might not be approving this project. We might have an entirely different feel to this community over here. But that didn't happen because of the leadership of the Santa Barbara County Board of Supervisors and supervisors such as Gail Marshall and Susan Rose and Naomi Schwartz. Um, as the county board contemplates how to treat open space and agricultural lands now in comparison to commercial leasing space and the housing element update, I hope they will reflect on what their decisions will mean and find perhaps some inspiration in what we're hopefully doing here tonight. This project is going forward also because of the City of Goleta general plan and the different city council members and staff and community members over the years who contributed to developing that general plan. Because of strong county leadership, the wetlands to the southeast were preserved. The 235 units of phase one at Willow Springs was allowed to be built. Then because of the city's general plan, we did another 100 units. And now we find ourselves at Heritage Ridge or Willow Springs phase three, the final phase that must resolve the one remaining challenge identified in the 1993 plan how to go forward in a way that preserves environmentally sensitive and culturally sensitive areas while providing needing, needed housing and park amenities. And I have to tell you, today we're poised to go forward in a way that is better than anything we might have had reason to hope for or expect. 104 units of truly affordable housing for low and very low income residents, including the two on-site managers. This project could have easily turned into more of the kind of development our community didn't need and doesn't need, but because of vision, political will, and tenacity, this will be the kind of development our community does need. I'm happy to support it and would like to, at the appropriate time, make a motion for its approval with the change in conditions 47B, 50B, and 43F little one. <laughs> Thank you, so I, you know, just first as an observation that a lot of people uh, look at the uh, housing crisis and the, the reason for the housing crisis they often blame are cities. They blame the city processes. They blame the role of the public in participating as creating obstruction and slowing things down. And so the source of what we have to do often the conclusion that many in the legislature come to is we have to go around them, avoid CEQA. We have to have um, housing done without public participation. And this process has been really uh, superb in bringing together different groups and having those different voices heard and having the public be involved. So we had a coalition of environmental groups. We had the Chumash community, the BBCI, we had housing people, we had different uh, housing entities, both Redtail and uh, Tobes, 
And coming together, we got something that was better than certainly where we started. By the involvement of the community, we ended up with more affordable housing than would have been the case uh, when this was first initiated. We got more protections for the environment. We got a project that fits into the area. It uh, treats the land with respect. We have a beautiful park with, a, you know, it's so creative, the theme that emerged to respect the Chumash heritage and honor the, the uh, ancestors, as they said. We also protect the viewshed in the process. It's not, it was one of the things, this was a corridor where part of the goal was to ensure that the viewshed was not uh, impaired, and that does that. Uh, so, and, and lastly, you know, when it comes to uh, congestion and vehicle miles traveled, there's some measures that are included, whether it's adding the bike lanes, the sidewalks, whether it's the uh, preferred employer plan and other things that we'll look at or talk about in the future. But there's a lot of opportunities for us to ameliorate all these things. So it, it, all of these things emerge from the fact that we had this conversation. And it's kind of a conclusion both that deliberative democracy, if you will, of bringing people together and negotiating, you can solve problems and you can get a better outcome. And uh, good negotiations and good planning really can, do, uh, can produce superb outcomes. And I want to thank the staff for their, uh, you know, really great work in, in not just working hard, but producing a terrific outcome. And of course, Redtail for their willingness to, to negotiate and really ne to, re to listen and, and respond. It, it, Usually, one thinks of developers often as saying, no, we can't do that. You know, I mean, that's impossible. You know, we penciled it out. And it's astonishing to see how much of a change has took place over the course of this project. And I, yeah, I'm very grateful. And so I think it's a terrific project and a, and a tribute to all the people who participated in it. Thank you. Mayor Tim Richards. Thank you. Uh, well. I'll echo a lot of what I've heard already um, that was said so well, but I'll, I'll first start with thanking our staff, our, our uh, planning staff, and our legal team, and, uh, and all of the people that um, were on board with making this happen and getting us to this point. So th thank you for all the hard work um, for, for delivering on a, on, a pro on a very important project. Um, I also thank the developer and, the, and their team for their willingness to address the concerns that they were hearing um, and, and, and really tweak the project in some very significant ways uh, to make it better and make it uh, more palatable and more attractive to the community and more about what the community wants. And, and I want to thank the, the Environmental Defense Center um, and their clients um, that, that they fought on behalf of uh, the Urban Creeks Council, the Goodland Coalition, Audubon Society, uh, the Sierra Club, and oh, I think I'm missing one. Oh, the Citizens Planning Association. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, and that is part of what what we've heard here. That's our you know participatory democratic process at work. That that's you know people uh, you know putting their agenda forward and and lobbying and 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 having their voice heard and and speaking up and trying to you know. Uh, advocate on behalf of, of our community. And you know, I, I'm very impressed. This is, a, this is a very impressive project, and I'm, I'm really happy to be here tonight 
to, to see this to fruition and to, to be here to support this. Yeah, I think this project is an example of what is possible. And, and as we've heard, it doesn't have to be an either or situation. You know, in a way, you know, this has something for everyone. And uh, you know, without beating a dead horse, I'll you know just comment on what some of those things are. You know, that the fact that it that it is sensitive to the environmental considerations of the of the area, it respects and it celebrates the native Chumash culture of our area. Um, it's uh, appropriate in terms of design, the size, bulk, and scale. Uh, you know, as we know, several of the buildings were reduced from three to two stories. And after going through the design process, uh, several elements were changed that soften it and make the project more appealing and more consistent with the nearby residential neighborhood. You know, importantly, it complies with our general plan. You know, and as, as the one, one speaker mentioned, you know, we put a lot of work and effort into creating a general plan that reflects our community's values. So why don't we use it? You know, so I, I, it's it's very heartening to see that you know that that we didn't have to make adjustments we didn't have to bend over backwards and compromise our values uh, in order to get a good project out of this um, it, it this project conforms with the medium density residential development that was called for in the general plan uh, it complies with the height and setbacks and the requirement to be 100 foot uh, uh, from the streamside protection area. This is huge, this is very important because we hear over and over again how, it, how onerous that requirement is, how you know, it's not possible or very inconvenient or it's gonna hurt the, the bottom line um, of a developer to be able to be 100 feet from those creeks. And, but we're, we're telling them that this is what we want, this is the community, uh, this is the voice of the community, this is what we've heard the community wants uh, and, and this is, and it is possible, this is proving that it's possible. Um, the fact that it preserves that easement along Los Carneros for a future bike lane and future pedestrian infrastructure, that's critical. Um, the park, I, what, a great, what a great design, what a great idea. It's, a, it's so unique, it's creative. It, it, it will be a, a real wonderful amenity for that whole neighborhood, not just for the residents here, but for the, the ones that are in that area. And I'm sure it will attract uh, people from all over. I, I, I'll be very excited to stop by there and, and spend some time in the grassy area on the benches and, and, and just experience it. I, I, can, I can envision how it will look and I'm excited about that. Um, it, it is near to public transportation and, and it will result in a reduction in vehicle miles traveled. Uh, as we know, that will mean shorter commutes, less traffic and less greenhouse gases. And the affordable units, I mean, gosh, I mean, like how did, we, how did that happen? You know, uh, you know it, th there were no requirements to have any affordables in this project at all, and, and now we have over 30% that are. Uh, that's amazing, and, and as was mentioned, you know, these, you know, that 102 units, that, that's not just a number, that's just, not, it's not just a arena requirement that we can check off of our list, you know, these are people that will be able to live there that wouldn't otherwise be able to afford to live, you know, might not be able to stay in our area or stay in our city. So uh, the impact, the human impact on that is incredible. Um, uh, and, and the assurances, you know, I, I, you know, that's the other important thing, you know, um, 
how do we uh, ensure that the affordables get built? That's something that we that we deal with you know, any time that we have uh, a project that we're looking at that has a, an affordable component is to actually, you know, how do we guarantee that? Well, maybe we can't guarantee it, but we sure do have a lot of um, uh, safeguards uh, in there. There are contingencies in case there are snags. You know, uh, we, we've looked ahead and thought about what might happen and, and plan for that. So uh, there's so much about this that is, is great, and I'm really happy to support it, and I really want to thank everybody that, that made it get to this point. So thank you. <clears throat> Councilmember Reyes Martinez. Thank you. Well, I'll start with just echoing, echoing my thank you uh, to, to staff, to the applicant, to EDC and its clients and all the community groups, um, and, and definitely to residents and just community members who have been involved with this process and giving their input for years. Uh, and I also want to thank our Planning Commission and DRB for all of their work. There's so much history and work behind um, the 800-page staff report <laughs> that we had uh, before us this tonight. I know there's just so much work that has gone into this. Um, and I'll, you know, uh, also echo some of what I've heard from my colleagues. Um, you know, this project really strikes that uh, good compromise and balance from a lot of complex issues, a lot of various interests, while achieving so much, achieving wildlife protection, providing much-needed rental housing, um, of course, in, in particular, the affordable housing, the public benefits like the park, um, and really that the Shumash heritage that is centered with those park elements, I think is just wonderful and it's gonna be a tremendous community benefit. Um, I know I'm already thinking about ways to connect that to our schools and, and other educational opportunities um, with that park. Um, and you know, this project really is, you know, again, the result of many different groups coming together with that willingness, that tenacity that uh, Councilmember Kazin mentioned, to find common ground, to hash things out, um, and at the end of the day, results in a project with a lot for everyone to like. Um, and I think that is really um, tremendous um, and you know, sometimes, unfortunately, unique <laughs> with a project, um, but really glad that we're at a point now through so much deliberation and hard work to, to have something for a lot of people to like, um, and that is really gonna be um, a really special project. Um, and lastly, you know, to our community, um, as Councilmember Kiriako mentioned, uh, Goleta is doing its part uh, to really address um, the housing challenges that we all face. And in many ways, this is really the model uh, for how to do this. Um, this is how various interests come together, work together, um, uh, again, hash things out, negotiate, and have that willingness and open mind to get to yes, um, and results um, in really thoughtful planning that takes into consideration many different issues that respects the work of our general plan and achieves significant community benefits. Um, so like others have said, I'm, I'm so proud of all the hard work that has gotten us to this point. Um, and really proud to support this project. Um, and again, just thank you uh, to everyone for the years of work um, that has led to, to tonight. Well, I'm gonna jump in here real quick um, and echo, you know, it's hard to add any more to what, <clears throat> what my colleagues have said, but I do wanna take this opportunity to thank staff um, for um, 
putting together an 800 page, I'm sure it took all 801, I think, pages document, but so much of it was so clear and precise. I mean, it, it, you told a story along the way of when it started, and um, so it, it was enjoyable to go back and read it and, and remember it started in 2014. I do remember that. I was here. <clears throat> so, um, you know, thank you for that. Thank the legal department. Um, um, you know, and I look out and see all the people that had um, something to do with this, you know, with, with the applicant, the housing authority, um, EDC. Um, you know, you, what you can accomplish when you all work together, um, I, I think is evident tonight. We're seeing it. Um, you know, I look out to see John Polanski um, with that big smile on his face. I, he has not stopped smiling the entire evening and, you know, and feeling his enthusiasm and his passion. And I know he will get this project done, and I know it'll be fabulous because I've seen his work and uh, worked with him in the years past on different housing projects. And um, he, he, you can take him for his word. He's going to get this done. Um, you know, it's been a long time coming, and um, I think we're at the close of almost closing the loop, and um, and just thank you to everybody that put something in. And I will say, full disclosure, I had a little bit of a concern in the beginning with the park. I, I'm sure some of you had heard about my concern with the park, and not uh, it, it had more to do with... Um, uh, being a public park, and uh, I can see now after seeing what's going to be there and hearing from the public, um, I, I know people will go to this, and I love the idea about putting signage so that they know it's there. That was my concern is maybe the public wouldn't know it's there, and, and so, um, you know, I don't have any concerns about the park anymore, so um, I think it's going to be fabulous. So, um, Councilmember Kasdan. Yeah, just one thing that um, occurred to me that I didn't think of, that uh, speaking of, you know, doing the, of, of the things that we are trying to achieve and the important things that this has and how it reflects our values on top of the low and very low affordable with pickleball. And, you know, <laughs> let, let's not leave out that when we're talking about what this accomplishes. No, actually, in all sincerity, I, I was joking, but <laughs> it does show how well you listened, because this only emerged as a, as something so important to a lot of people, and and you picked up on it, and you know, good for you. Thank you. Okay, so who would like to make um, entertain a motion? Oh, I close thought I hearing. I did close the public hearing. Oh, I yeah. think I did, but I'll close it again if you think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it this time. <laughs> I really mean it. <laughs> and um, entertain a motion. Now that we've closed both the public testimony and the public hearing, uh, yes, I will move that we adopt. I may need a little help here with the motion at the appropriate places, and you'll know where to help me. Adopt resolution number 23, next in line, entitled A Resolution of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, recommending that the City Council, one, Adopt environmental findings pursuant to the California Environmental Quality Act. Two, certify the Heritage Ridge Residential Project Final Environmental Impact Report, parentheses, SCH number 
2023-04-1014, dated February 2023. Three, adopt the mitigation monitoring and reporting program. And four, adopt statement of overriding considerations. Do, are we gonna take each one at a time and have yes. a separate vote? Oh. Okay, so that's my first motion. <coughs> Do you need a second? Yes. I'll second. And then we're going to vote on each one separately. Okay. So we'll do a roll call vote. Councilmember Kiriako? Aye. Councilmember Reyes Martin? Aye. Councilmember Kasdan? Aye. Mayor Pro Tempore Richards? Yes. And Mayor Perotti? Aye. Please lock in your votes. Ayes have it. There we go. Number one. Okay, and then my second recommendation, um, I, I uh, move that we adopt resolution number 23 next in line entitled, a resolution of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, recommending that the City Council adopt amendments to the general plan slash coastal land use plan open space element figure 3-5 and conservation element figure 4-1 for APNs 073-060 dash 031 through dash 043, case number 14 dash 049 dash GPA. I'll second. second. Manager Kasdan, okay. Um, the roll call vote. Councilmember Kiriako. Aye. Oh, Councilmember Reyes Martin. Aye. Councilmember Kasdan. Aye. Mayor Pro Tempore Richards. Yes. And Mayor Perotti. Aye. Ayes have it. All right, I will make another motion that we adopt resolution number 23 next in line entitled, A Resolution of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, recommending that the City Council of the City of Goleta, California approve the vesting tentative map to merge and re-subdivide 13 lots into four lots, parentheses, three residential lots and one park lot, <laughs> for the Heritage Ridge Residential Project, APNs 073-060-031 through-043, case number 14-049-VTM, and, oh wait, no, uh, as amended with the inclusion of the errata sheet. Uh, can we do you know, specify that it's the errata for the vesting tentative map conditions? The um, and I, which if you want, I can reference that it's conditions 6, 12, 18, and 20. What does my attorney need me to say right now? <laughs> That's fine. I think we could just refer to the the VTM conditions in the errata sheet that was on the dais and that's posted online. As amended with the errata sheet for the, the vested tentative map as, pos as posted in the errata sheet online and distributed at the meeting. I'll second. Okay. Roll call vote. <coughs> Council Member Kiriako. Aye. Council Member Reyes Martin. Aye. Council Member Kasdan. Aye. Mayor Pro Tempore Richards. Yes. And Mayor Perotti. Aye. Again, the ayes have it. It should Let's pop up. It. 
There we go. Okay. I do like that solution. And now comes the fun one. I move that we adopt resolution number 23 next in line entitled a resolution of the city council of the city of Goleta, California, recommending that the city council of the city of Goleta, California, approve the development plan for 332 apartment units with a state density bonus parking concession and a public park, parentheses, design option two slash original design for the Heritage Ridge Residential Project APNs 073-060-031 through-043, case number 14-049-DP, with the inclusion of the errata sheet as amended to include changes to 40, are we striking 47B? So with 43F1. With 43F1. Um, as was stated, as, as earlier stated. As was earlier stated, as was previously stated. Previously stated, thank you. Um, with, a, with a cap of? With a cap of $125,000, there was a specific condition. And then with respect to condition 50B, and with, and with respect to condition 50B. That we would, this is gonna get a, a little tricky. Do you just wanna strike it entirely? Okay, we'll just strike it. I thought it. we were doing a strike, okay. And striking 50B and 47B. And I'd like to, mm -hmm. no. Not 47B, which one was 47, did I miss? 47B is already included in the errata sheet. Oh, excuse me, We've already that's yeah, right. We're good. And Never. I'd like to second. Is everyone clear on my motion? Because <laughs> I was a little bit. Recognize yourself. Okay. <laughs> it sounds like everyone's I clear on my motion. I recognize myself. I'm, I second that. And we'll all get a part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Roll call vote. Councilmember Kiriako. Aye. Councilmember Reyes Martin. Aye. Councilmember Kasdan. Aye. Mayor Pro Tempore Richards. Yes. And Mayor Brody. Aye. Ayes have it. And then I have one final motion. This one I think is easier. I move that we authorize the city manager with the approval of the city attorney to execute all necessary agreements and associated documents to effectuate the above recommendations and amend the affordability control covenant and regulatory agreement and land acquisition loan agreement with the housing authority of the County of Santa Barbara and or associated partnership entities in substantial compliance with the forms of agreement attached to the staff report and associated resolutions and in comportment with federal and state tax credit funding requirements. I'll second that, 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 that really resonates for me. Thank you. <laughs> I'm here for your joy. <laughs> okay, roll call vote. Council member Kiriako. Aye. Councilmember Reyes Martin. Aye. Councilmember Kasdan. Aye. Mayor Pro Tempore Richards. Yes. And Mayor Perotti. Aye. Ayes have it. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, done. Yay. Congratulations. <laughs> Well, I don't. Yeah, yeah, that's the last item. Where is my 
computer's not. <laughs> Are we taking a break or? Um, yeah, my, we're gonna take a five <laughs> five minute break. We, we still have some business to um, deal with. I was the last one to hear the Thank you for coming with your sore knee and leg and And you hung in there the whole time. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> we're, we're, we're back. This meeting is coming back to order. Um, now is uh, time for council comments, standing committees. So I see a list of um, two grant funding review standing committees. Um, do you want to say yeah, anything yeah, about I'll that? Yeah, I'll just report um, on behalf of the committee that we met on those two days uh, uh, um, to discuss uh, support to other agencies and make our recommendations also for the city grant program. And those will both be coming back to city council soon. And um, I, I can report also the finance and audit standing committee met. And uh, it was on our agenda earlier today. We had the uh, quarter financial review, I think. So, and that okay. was it. Thank you. And I'll report quickly on the homeless issue standing committee. Uh, we met on March the 1st, and Chuck Flax, our, our new homelessness service coordinator, presented uh, the fiscal year 2022-2023 uh, uh, second quarter performance update. It was, you know, it was really um, wonderful to hear the update, and at some point, I think the whole, um, you know, we should make a presentation on what we've done. Um, it, it's, it's something to, to the, I think the public would like to learn and hear about. Um, and then we also reviewed and made recommendations for our city grant applications for homelessness services, which we're doing a little differently this year. There's a pot of money that's um, the committee's made some recommendations. It's $25,000. So that'll be coming for full council ratification um, soon. Okay. Okay. City manager? I think I'm you already. Nervous, yeah. I, I know. <laughs> Smart man. City attorney? Uh, nothing shocking nothing? for tonight, <laughs> but congratulations. <laughs> All right. Meeting adjourned. Thank you, everyone.